I want to welcome everybody uh, for the meeting of the March 28th uh, City Council meeting. Um, Madam Clerk, can you please call the roll? Councilmember Cardenas? Present. Councilmember Chavez? Councilmember Gonzalez? Present. Deputy Mayor Preciado? Present. And Mayor McCann? Present. Um, if you'll please stand, and uh, Ms. Chavez, if you could say the Pledge of Allegiance. We will now move to the uh, special orders of the day. Uh, we have several members um, from the community that are stepping up to be able to go ahead and serve on boards and commissions. And we're gonna have the city clerk go ahead and give them uh, the oath of office. And I'm gonna have several of my council members uh, go down and bring out their uh, certificates and uh, so if the, anybody who is here for, we have a large list, uh, so anybody who is here, if they could come on down. So that would be James Clark for the Board of Libraries, Mary Johnson, Health, Wellness, and Aging Commission, Peter Carlson, Juliet Montoya, Cessna, Carla Pecho for the Housing and Homeless Advocacy Advisory Commission, Pacheco, the Raymond Alatore, Crystal Farley, John Knox, Haley Salazar for the Sustainability Commission. You know somebody's popular when they're getting a uh, applause for being sworn in to do a free job. <laughs> uh, for the Safety Commission, Monica Becerra, Ro Rodney Cadillo, Tim DeMarco, and the Veterans Advisory Commission, NIMPA, Ankana, and Dwayne Hooker. And I'm gonna give the... I wanna see James Clark. <laughs> yep. I'm gonna be giving the council members uh, certificates to hand out to you, and uh, thank you for your service. It is an honor, Madam Council Member. So I want to thank you all for um, being here and serving our communities. 
Again, you are a important vehicle uh, for the city. Take a picture. Everybody, uh, actually, everybody, if you come over here in front of the dais, um, I think this is very important. Um, uh, I'm calling you the uh, number one draft picks uh, for 2023, and uh, just really appreciate, again, your service. Thank you, everyone. Yes, please give them a round of applause. I do um, need to make sure that uh, we do one announcement. Um, this is the Housing Authority announcement. Uh, each council member and I will receive $50 for attendance at the Housing Authority meeting today, being held simultaneously with the City Council meeting. Uh, this announcement is made pursuant to Government Code Section 54952-3. Thank you. Thank you all the council members for handing those out. Um, the next um, exciting presentation we have uh, is a group that I, I believe that has been incredibly successful and uh, as somebody who's worked for startups, I think it's one of the great things having a startup. Um, as we know, uh, when you get your power, it used to be just San Diego Gas and Electric. Now you have a choice and um, this choice I think has um, been very superb and been we really well run. Uh, so what that, with that, I'd like to have um, Karen Burns come up and give a presentation on the San Diego community power and uh, be able to show what is happening there and the great things that they are doing. Thank you. Karen, you're welcome. Yes. Welcome. Go ahead and start when you're ready. Okay. Good evening, Mayor McCann. And good evening, council members of Chula Vista. Thank you for having me here tonight update you on STCP and our activities to date. Karen, go ahead and just move your microphone a little. There you go. Up, okay. And I'll talk louder. And if I need to talk more slowly, let me know. So who is STCP? Quick primer for those in the room as well. We are a local not-for-profit electricity provider offering our customers choice, greener energy, and more affordable rates. We were founded in 2019 by five member agencies, Chula Vista, Imperial Beach, City of San Diego, Encinitas, and La Mesa. And come April 1st, we are enrolling National City and the unincorporated county. What is our mission? Our mission is to be a community-owned organization that's providing both affordable clean energy, creating high-quality jobs, and getting to 100% clean and renewable energy by 2035 or sooner. And our vision is also important to us. 
because we believe that if we can get to 100% clean and renewable energy as the eighth largest metropolitan area in the country, we can inspire others to do so as well. Quick primer on CCAs. We were created in uh, 2002 by AB 117, by the state legislation. And by 2025, CCAs will represent half of the energy load in California. There are 25 operating programs across California right now. We are already the second largest CCA in the country. And after this latest round, we will have almost 1 million customer meters that we will be serving with our cleaner, more affordable, renewable energy. So how does it work? You will still get gas, delivery to homes and businesses, and billing services from SDG&E. But what's changing is that we are procuring wholesale, cleaner power, and when we can, we're passing discounts on to our customers. This year, we're able to offer a 3% value proposition to SDG&E's base rate, and our Power 100 program, product, 100% renewable power delivered to your home or business, is almost comparable to SDG&E's base rate. Where are we with our enrollment? We fully enrolled our founding five members, including Chula Vista, and we are getting ready to enroll National City and the unincorporated county. We will enroll in April of this year, National City and unincorporated county, as I mentioned, and we are super excited to be able to do that, and we are currently sending out enrollment notices, reaching out to the various communities and making sure folks are aware of what's happening and able to ask and answer, have their questions answered. This is just a quick slide showing our power content in 2021. SDG&E had about 44%. We have over 55% in 2021 as our base product renewable energy, and then we have our Power 100 service as 100% renewable power. In terms of our customer participation rates, they continue to be very high. We had a 95% target. We are, on average, over 96% of customers have stayed with our service since enrollment. In Chula Vista, 96% of customers have stayed. We have over 85,000 active accounts, 800 Power 100 customers here in your area, and only 3,900 opt-outs. So great participation rate, and we Hope that will continue. We have over 33,000 participants overall in our Power 100 rate, in our Power 100 service, with Encinitas leading the charge as they enrolled their entire area into the Power 100 service as their default setting. Okay, these are our current rates. A little hard to see on this slide, but we have Detailed information on our website, sdcommunitypower.org. You can go there and get a couple of things. You can get our, our rates. You can understand we have summer versus winter rates. We have on-peak, off-peak, super off-peak rates. We have solar rates, and we have time-of-use rates. We have quite a bit of rates, uh, different types of rates, and our website has all of that, as well as a detailed bill explainer. That's important as well, and an estimator and more energy education is planned for 2023 as one of the big asks from our community after we completed our community power plan was to help increase folks' energy literacy 
through energy education. So that's a program that we're planning to get rolling out very soon. NEM, this is just a, a reminder for those on net energy metering. What's, what's not changing is your NEM interconnection rate. So everyone automatically enrolls during their annual, at their annual true-up rate. And for, so there may be some folks still here in Chula Vista that are going through their annual true-up rate in the next couple of months, and they will automatically enroll in. For those folks in National City and Unincorporated County, starting April 1st, NEM customers will start automatically enrolling up until March of 2024. So what's changing is when you do pull energy from the grid and you're a solar customer, you will get a 3% discount on your energy bill. If you are a NEM 1.0 or a NEM 2.0 or other, those are not changing. So none of that um, interconnection contracting and none of that is changing. If you produce more energy than you consume, then you'll be receiving slightly more income from that overproduction and you will receive an automatic check dispersed to your home if, you're, if your annual or total compensation is less than $2,500. So you don't even have to think about it, it will automatically be produced. And then, not only right now you have an annual true up, but once on our program, we offer both a monthly true up and an annual true up. We wanted to give you a quick update on our community power plan. This was over a nine month process where we reached out across all of our communities to learn what really mattered to folks and how our programs could address some of those needs. We received over 3,500 unique and relevant responses from within our community, over 25% from our communities of concern, and we are very excited to start building those programs that address needs. Affordability, customer education, as mentioned, just a few of those, and so we're working hard to address those in any way we can. Uh, we are also Spending time out and about in the community. Here in Chula Vista, for example, we tabled at Starlight Nights. We are also the title sponsors of the South Bay Earth Day event here on April 15th. So keep an eye out for us there. And if anyone has additional ideas on how we can be present and how we can connect with our community here in Chula Vista, please do let us know. We table, we sponsor, we get involved, and we really want to connect with our community here. We also have some great partnerships that have emerged. We, focus, we sponsor three sports teams, and these sports teams are really focused on our communities, the Padres, the San Diego Wave, and the San Diego Loyal. We also have multiple Power 100 company champions. Those are organizations that have chosen to opt up to our Power 100 service as a way to address some of their sustainability goals. So the San Diego International Airport, Illumina, Sharp Healthcare, those are some of the companies that have opted up. Lastly, this just highlights some of the exciting and impactful community partnerships that we have been building throughout the county. That's what we have as a brief update tonight, and we look forward to any Q&A that you may have. Great, uh, Karen, thank you very much for your presentation. And uh, Member Preciado has a uh, question and a comment. So, um, may I call you Chief Burns? Well, how do we address you? Karen, it's fine. All right, um, Karen, so I, I think your presentation is fantastic. I think in many ways, um, um, very savvy customers, very customers that may 
may have made investments in their homes with their own solar energy, et cetera, et cetera, are very excited. But um, there's a major issue that I think we weren't able to address in your remarks, and I'm hoping that you find a way to do that because you're announcing affordability. And one of the challenges my constituents are facing right now are humongous bills. And they don't know if they're getting their energy from the power or they're getting it from SDG&E proper. What they know is that their bills are much higher. And if, in fact, you are providing a more affordable product than what the SDG&E product is, I think you have an opportunity to increase your outreach right now because I think customers are, are getting desperate about what they need to do or can do to lower their energy costs because it is really impacting the household. Um, some some ratepayers are complaining that, uh, and these ratepayers are not the lifeline ratepayers that are already uh, accounted for. Those fixed income and other people that get a flat rate because it's a lifeline rate approach. Now we're talking about the middle of the road customer that is just seeing an astronomical amount of, of, of costs go up. And so I'm wondering if you can comment on when you mean affordability, what is it that you mean for the regular customer at their regular monthly bill? And secondly, where can people reach, um, or let's say the, the point of transition you know, where you make your choice has passed, how is it that they can uh, access your more affordable rates if indeed they are more affordable or if they're just affordable in concept? Sure. Let me try, I'll try and unpack that. There's a couple things in there. Uh, so firstly, with an energy bill, the generation component is less than half of the total bill. stg &E provides the other half. That's transmission distribution, as well as billing services and other uh, elements that go in. In terms of customer education, there are ways that folks can lower their energy bills by doing things. Some, some are behavioral, some are small technologies, that is the piece. There are also programs available. So one of the things we're going to be doing over the next few months is building that place, that website, that customer service where people can come and understand what their options are. They may qualify for programs they're not aware of today. There may be small things they can do that over time will have a significant impact on their energy bill. So we want to start there. In terms of how we set rates, we set rates, unlike the investor-owned utilities, we set rates through a transparent, forward process that's public every January. And when we're looking at our rates, we're looking at the cost of power, which has gone up a lot. And we showed that in our board meeting, just the, the cost of power alone is over 93% of our budget. The other piece that we think about is building a solid financial foundation. As Mayor McCann started the conversation, we're a startup. We've been here for three years now. We've been in operations for two. And so we have to build that financial foundation that will allow us to continue to serve customers in the future. And further, as we do that, our credit gets better, and then we can start having more leverage and negotiating power when we're entering into those power contracts. Third, in terms of affordability today, we do keep customers in the center of our thinking. We are through our base product, which is cleaner than that of scg &E, is also 3% less expensive. And our goal is to increase that. We recognize that in the long, you know, in the short term, that, that, that is something 
but we want to do more. And we will as we, as we grow, as we build our financial foundation so we can continue to serve customers and provide that choice into the future. So one of the, so my, my background before I joined this board was in, in water. And one of the challenges we had in water is obviously we had to charge enough to cover our expenses, enough to maintain our facilities, enough to, and that was the rate we came up with. And, um, and there isn't, there aren't multiple water purveyors. Um, that's different in the energy industry, right? In the energy industry, you have STG&E, which is still the retail presence that most customers see. And then um, as, part of their, as part of their values and as part of their possibilities as a family, they make investments. So they'll say, I'm really gonna be green and I'm going to bring in a $30,000 investment that if I am, you know, over time will save me money. The challenge that we have right now because I think your message about green energy, that's clear. Congratulations, that's absolutely wonderful. The challenge that I'm trying to bring to your attention is that 3% right now is, is not be, will not be seen by the customers that I'm concerned about. The customer, and they're not necessarily the customer that has the lifeline access, because again, if you're paying rightfully so through lifeline rates of $30 or $40 a month, there's a reason why that has been socialized that way and, and can be provided. But what I'm concerned about right now, particularly as, the, as the, the natural gas market went up so high in January and February and the electricity market continues to be a challenge, is as we present ourselves to the public, I just wanna make sure we're not announcing that we are more than uh, an opportunity to focus on, on a green energy product that will lead us to meet our climate goals faster and better than, our, than, the, than the investor owned um, utility. But I, I, I'm very interested in seeing over time how affordability options can be made available to the public and that we center that option too. Um, and again, I, I, I don't know that, that as the generator or the wholesaler, because um, that's what we are, right? We're a wholesaler. We're, we're, we are an alternative to SDG&E in terms of offering retail power to the public, but we don't have as much um, to say about the final price. Is that correct or am I misunderstanding? Correct, our ability to influence price is only on the generation side. Okay, and, and so I, I think, um, and this is not a critique on you because you're not responsible for the rates that are out there, um, but I, I just, I just want to make sure we make that clear that as we talk about affordability, it, is, it, 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 it will depend on each household, but we are making headway on, on our climate change or climate justice uh, front, but um, I'm very concerned and I'm hoping in the future we can have the other uh, energy purveyor in this area to talk about what we can do long-term to improve the affordability of those bills because they are really striking hard at the family budget. So thank you, thank you very much for, for responding to my inquiry. Well, uh, 
Karen, I want to thank you for everything you do. You have a great team. Um, this really is, a, I believe, uh, the beginning of a, a great opportunity to have choice in energy now. Um, do I have any other comments or questions from my dais? No? Well, again, really appreciate you for taking the time to come down that presentation, and uh, we will definitely continue to work with you if anybody has any questions and be able to promote um, alternative costs uh, from SDG&E. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Mr. Mayor, if I may announce for the record that we did yes. receive one e-comment on this item. Go ahead. We did receive one e-comment on this item. Thank you. Thank you. And now we'll move to item 4.3. Um, any chance is Sandy Scheller here tonight? Or a representative for Sandy Scheller? Um, wanted to uh, do a proclamation, um, uh, basically in the recognition of April 17th, 18th. Uh, we won't have a council meeting till after that time, uh, so we wanted to do the proclamation tonight. And <clears throat> it's the day of remembrance of the victims of the Holocaust in the city of Chula Vista. Whereas pursuant to the act of Congress, October 7th, 1980, the United States Holocaust Memorial Council de designated the days of remembrance of victims of the Holocaust to be Monday, April 17th through Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. Whereas between 1933 through 1945, six million people were mur murdered, targeted for destruction, or recrimination for radical, ethnic, racial, or national reasons, and millions were including homosexuals, Jehovah Witnesses, Soviet prisoners of war, and political dissidents also severed previous oppression and death under war Nazi tyranny. And whereas the history of the Holocaust provides the opportunity to reflect on the moral responsibilities of individuals, societies, and governments, and their efforts to overcome prejudice through education and reflections. And whereas the people of Chula Vista community recognize and honor Chula Vista resident Ruth Sachs, Ruthie, a Holocaust survivor and advocate for harmony and peace through education and guidance to those around the world, and whereas Ruthie Sachs' experience from the past shall be a constant reminder to the future that this will not be tolerated again, and the legacy of her story by her daughter, Sandra Scheller, try to remember, never forget. Memoirs of a Holocaust survivor of Ruth Sachs is a contribution to the world, touching each and every heart. Now, therefore, I, John McCann, 41st Mayor of the City of Chula Vista, do hereby recognize April 17th through the 18th, 2023, as days of remembrance of victims of the Holocaust and recommit to raising our voices against every form of intolerance, indifference, and injustice unless us endeavor to build a world where all may live together in peace. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, I just got a text. She's in traffic. 
Okay, we will. Uh, she should be coming, so regrettably she couldn't get here. We will uh, present this to her uh, when she gets here. But um, now we will move to the consent calendar. Items uh, one, five through five, nine. Uh, item number five, seven was pulled. Um, and so I will make a motion to approve the consent calendar. Uh, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I want to just pull 5.9 just for comment. Okay. And uh, what we'll do is I will make the motion mm -hmm. and then also, um, do you want to pull the item or just have a comment? No, just a comment. Okay. What I'm going to do is make the motion 5.1 uh, through 5.6 and 5.8 and 5.9. Uh, so moved, and then I'll let you have your comments. Second. We have a motion and a second. Uh, Member Chavez, uh, please give us your comments. Thank you, Mayor. I just wanted to mention that on Assembly Bill 91, I got a chance to join Assembly Member David Alvarez in Sacramento this last week. Um, I just want to speak in support of this item. Um, because I just think that, it, so this item is basically considering uh, cross, the cross-border community um, as local, um, the tuition that we respect for local students, for local enrollments. We're trying to consider um, the same for people that maybe just can't afford to live here anymore and has gone to live on the other side of the border, but still study, work. They're part of the, the great workforce and uh, future, um, uh, the, the community that we're just expecting to thrive all around us. And I, you know, uh, AB 91 would allow this integral members of our cross-border community to attend community college with the same rates, the same costs of local students. Um, our binational region, there is as we know, we're, we're forming an ad hoc committee um, with economic development and binational affairs, precisely because Chula Vista is such an integral part of international trade, economic development, and this huge floating population that we have commuting every single day. So I just wanted to manifest this importance of being inclusive and um, in an international way as well. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Clerk, please read the headings. Thank you, and for the record, item 5.9 had one e-common in support as well. Item 5.1 is approval of the minutes dated March 7th, 2023. Item 5.2 is approval of a motion to read only the title and waive the reading of the text of all resolutions and ordinances at this meeting. Item 5.3 is consideration of requests for excused absences. No requests were received for this meeting. Item 5.4 is Ordinance of the City of Chula Vista, amending Chula Vista Municipal Code Section 2.05.010, adding the unclassified position title of Building Official and Economic Development Manager. Second reading and adoption, four-fifths vote required. Item 5.5 is Ordinance of the City of Chula Vista, amending Section 2.04.050 of the Chula Vista Municipal Code relating to workshops, second reading and adoption. Item 5.6 is Ordinance of the City of Chula Vista approving an amendment to the development agreement between the City of Chula Vista, Baldwin & Sons, LLC, and its subsidiaries for portions of the Otay Ranch Village 2, second reading and adoption. Item 5.7 has been pulled. 
Item 5.8 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, approving the third amendment to the legal services agreement for, for legal services related to gaming operations between the city and Colantuno, Highsmith, and Watley, PC. And item 5.9 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, supporting Assembly Bill 91, Alvarez, Community Colleges, exemption from non-resident tuition fee, San Diego and Imperial Counties Community Colleges Association. End of consent. Please vote. Consent calendar passes unanimously uh, with item 5.7 pulled. Um, we will now move to item 5.7. Madam Clerk, who uh, pulled the item from the audience 5.7? We have one speaker on this item, John Acosta. Excuse me, what item are we on? 5.7. 5.7, Mr. Acosta. 5.7. Uh, 5 the legal services on call. I'm really concerned regarding uh, regarding the uh, legal calls and ser uh, legal services on call. Does that mean any council member that he, he or she might get in trouble? Uh, excuse me, con uh, council member uh, Andrea. Can you look at me? Don't be playing with your phone or whatever. I'm talking with, to you. Uh, in, uh, in specifically, I'm talking about you know con uh, council member Andrea Cardenas, you know, who is legally. Uh, there's a lot of talk on the press. There's a lot of talk on the uh, uh, internet about her, the grass, uh, grassroots, and all the conflicts of interest that she has been uh, invo involved with. Uh, can you give me the, Mr. Acosta? Um, if I can have the uh, city attorney go ahead and just answer that question. Okay. Thank you, Mayor McCann. This item is for legal services to be provided for our development services team. So none of this would relate to uh, any of the individual council members reaching out and receiving any on-call legal services whatsoever. This yeah, is because one of the things I would, like to, I would recommend, any council member, he or she gets in trouble for them themselves to pay their legal fees, not a city. Mr. Acosta, this does not relate to that. Okay, I wanted to make a note of that. Thank you. Move approval of 5.7 as presented. Second. Madam Clerk, please read the heading. Item 5.7 is resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista approving the First Amendment to the Legal Services Agreement for on-call legal services to assist the Development Services Department between the City and Gatsky, Dillon, and Balance LLP, amending the fiscal year 2022-23 budget and appropriating funds, therefore, for fist vote required. Please vote. Item carries unanimously for the on-call legal services for development. We will now move, uh, move to public comments. Uh, and again, we appreciate everybody's comments. Uh, they're welcome. Uh, we just make sure that they are something that is about uh, items and issues within the city. Um, and uh, we would like them to be as respectful as possible. 
Thank you. Madam Clerk, if you please call the first speaker. Yes, we do have 17 speakers under public comments this evening. The first speaker is Brandon Claypool, followed by John Acosta, followed by Mariana Sapanara. Thank you for having me here. I enjoy these meetings. Um, I pretty much represent the homeless people that need housing. It's a crisis and I'm just doing my part to see that everybody gets housing. I know a lot of them are dealing with addiction. They have a lot of mental issues and I'm here just to represent anybody who's struggling with addiction, who needs shelters, who needs help. Um, I don't wanna see anybody on the streets anymore. Um, I'm doing my part as a citizen to make sure everybody is safe in Chula Vista. Um, you did a really good job on Harbor Side. I thank you for that. Um, everything's getting cleaner. The city's progressing nicely, and I thank you a lot. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. The next speaker is John Acosta, followed by Mariana Sapanara, followed by Patty O'Mara. Uh, good afternoon, Mayor, Council members. Uh, uh, City Manager, I want to ask you if this money uh, left over available for uh, Norman Park to stay open, to stay open during the holidays, not for uh, uh, Council Member Preciado to do uh, uh, office hours. If he wants to meet with the people, his district, it's always allowed uh, uh, a place in the community where he could meet. But you know, if you give him money to extend the office hours, he would turn that into a um, um, private democratic club. Besides, there's a, there's a heck act where you know any, as a US uh, elected official in a democratic club president, you should not be using a public building to do uh, uh, political events, okay? So yeah, it is a people can rent it, but not for political events, especially if you know, an elected official in a, uh, a democratic, democratic club president. So uh, you could use, can you uh, give me some light? You could use one of the addresses the uh, grassroots um, has, 334 uh, F Street. It's uh, one block away from the uh, Norman Park, across from the library, and very conveniently across from the, uh, the city, of, uh, uh, city of Chula Vista Jail. So therefore, you know, uh, if you're gonna use that, uh, the money, use the money to leave the, uh, the uh, uh, Norman Park open for the seniors on, week, on uh, weekends or during holidays where I don't have a place to go. Also, one of the things that is very important, you know, this pay, pay, uh, pay to pay, pay to pay. Uh, if you, can I come my time back? Oh, thank you. <clears throat> if you, any of you gave money to council member uh, Andrea or Councilmember Andrea, all the uh, the uh, grassroots, and I want your pain to pay. You pay her see where you are right now. So that's why you have to leave the pay today. Pay her to be pay member. And you know where you are because you know all you can read the press. There's a lot of press and there are reports. Uh, so you know, make sure that you don't 
if you owe money to Andrea Cardenas, Mama Cardenas, and all the grapefruits you're play, you're paying paying to play. Also, Councilmember, since I'm so running out of time, oh, out of time. So, <clears throat> thank you. And also, you know, uh, one of the things I, asked, I spoke to when, uh, back in November, I asked you all if you were here for, to help the community or were here for, uh, for the uh, power and, uh, or influence or prestige. And obviously, you, uh, uh, Councilmember Preciado, he's only able to, uh, wants to talk to certain people. You know, for example, you know, he was able to talk to, right there, and he's on the press. You can all read it. For uh, Councilmember Member Preciado, he called, I mean, he received a call from a, a person that was running for mayor, which he lost, and he, uh, he talked to Councilmember Preciado. In Councilmember Preciado, he created, a, he created a, a position, are you saying, in San Diego State, and it's on the press, okay? I'm not making this up. Everything that I'm saying is on the press, okay? So, you know, he made up a, so, uh, made up a, a job for him. So, in other words, you know, Councilmember Preciado is willing to, he to help his friends but uh, right here, when I uh, talked to him you know, about making an appointment, he said, make an appointment, make an agenda, and we'll see if I can meet with you. But then again, you can see Jesus Garden as walking with, with him the, the same day, which is illegal and ethical, okay? But he didn't say, he didn't stop it, you know, he just went back doors and made all kinds of deals. I'm not quite sure what they did, okay? But like I say, if you are under Andreas Cardenas' uh, or the, uh, the grassroots power you under their power. You won't be able to change any, you, make, you won't be able to make any appointments, you won't be able to make any decisions because they're controlling you and you know that, okay? Thank you. Madam Clerk, um, I know uh, the Madam Clerk had a uh, request. Uh, we were having some issues with our microphones, uh, so we're just gonna take a quick research, Recess. recess to be able to allow them to bring down a wireless mic and make sure that everything yeah, gets fully on audio. Thank you. Thank you.
if you'll go ahead and call the next speaker. And uh, the clerk was able to get a battery-powered microphone, so hopefully that should work. Um, we're hoping that the batteries don't uh, run out, but if they do, we'll swap out the batteries. So, Marion, come on in. Good evening. My name is Mariana Saponata, and I talk fast, so there will be plenty of juice left. I rep <laughs> Folks, I'm from the Bronx. Um, I represent the senior citizen group, uh, the Nacion Avenue Crusaders, and we've been at this for eight years. I'm a retired principal and the other people. We have 130 years of, of civic service dedicated as educators, so I represent quite a few people um, on Nacion. Nacion was designated a collector's street about 40 years ago. And because of this, uh, the speed has not been reduced. I realize that the city of Chula Vista does have a speeding problem. Okay, we're not denying that. But, you know, today, uh, city manager, Ms. Maria, uh, council person, uh, Jose, his secretary, Ms. Diana, have contacted me. In fact, uh, Jan Lowry, uh, my other colleague, she received a phone call from Mr. Ben. So today must be a good day for the Crusaders because for eight years we've got nothing. So we want um, radar monitoring device or whatever can be installed on Nacion to cut the speed of the traffic. Three um, uh, speed studies were conducted, 36.5 miles an hour on Nacion is unacceptable. All the other streets around us have 25. So we're 11.5 miles above our neighboring streets. And all the kids use Nacion to go to four hilltop area schools. I wanna thank the police chief, uh, Sergeant uh, Fred, uh, the motorcycle cop at Christopher, Lieutenant Rea, and everybody else who has been trying to help us. Uh, you know, it's been thrown at our face, we'll call the cops. Blame the cops. We're not blaming the cops. There aren't enough of them. I come from a law enforcement family. We're not blaming the cops at all. Or, or use that radar device of the cops, that trailer. Most of the time, it's busted. So what we really want is something to slow down the traffic so the kids, the pedestrians, are, have a safe journey to their schools. That's all we're asking for. Thank you very much. The next speaker is Patty O'Mara, followed by Lily A. Bear, followed by Tanya Williams. Good evening. Uh, I wasn't going to speak today, but as I came here, I happened to glance at the electronic version of the newspaper, and I felt the, compelled to express my dismay and the dismay of the entire public at Ms. Cardenas failing to disclose financial conflict of interest regarding her cannabis dispensary representation and failing to recuse herself from closed sessions regarding cannabis dispensary litigation. I am an attorney. I was a deputy district attorney, which for some of you may not know, that means I am a criminal prosecutor. I am very well aware for 30 years of what it takes to get a conviction. And I will say this, it is my opinion that Ms. Cardenas has directly and willfully violated the conflict of interest laws. I hope you're paying attention, Madam City Attorney. And I and the good people 
of this city are wondering who the heck did we elect here? We, this is today. Last week it was, uh, Councilman Preciado, you seem like a charming guy, I'd like to have coffee with you, but honestly, making up a job for a political cohort camp in Hajar, as Mr. Acosta said, that's just wrong. You know better. Didn't your mother teach you any better than that? And then a couple months ago, all of you guys elect this guy. Criminal convictions, a serious criminal conviction for a DUI. Business licenses suspended. Political cohortism. What is the matter with you people? If we keep digging, what else are we going to find out? I hope there's nothing more. Please act honestly, act ethically. That's why we elected you. Please stop this underhanded shenanigans, especially you, Ms. Cardenas. We want transparency. This isn't old time Chicago. We don't play those games, Mr. Preciado. Please stop this. Follow the rules. Avoid even the appearance of impropriety. That is what we expect, and that is what we deserve in your representation. Thank you. The next speaker is Lily Hebert, followed by Tanya Williams, followed by Cheryl. I want to thank Jose for talking about the affordability of, this, of the electricity and the gas. And now I'd like to tell Andrea, Jose, and Carolina, or Carolina, do the same for the charge of the miles that we drive on the roads. The, mile, the tax on miles that we drive will be not affordable for the same families that you're talking about. Don't let it happen. But I'm here for something else. A couple years ago, I won, or I kept talking and talking and talking, and it happened. And I'd like for it to happen again. The POW flag is not outside. That POW flag needs to be flying proudly in the air, saying that we stand for you no matter where you're kidnapped at or kept at, because our military is precious, just like our police force, that we need to have the ones that are hiding. If they come home, they should see the POW flag, knowing that we did not forget them. Please let it fly again. The next speaker is Tanya Williams, followed by Cheryl, followed by Sandra C. Good evening. Um, I'm so glad to be uh, part of the Veterans Advisory Board Committee and uh, honored to be elected to the committee. I went to my first meeting a couple of weeks ago and I just had some concerns because I got there early. Um, no one showed up. I waited to get in the building. I waited around for like 45 minutes to get in the building. I walked all around the building, tried to see if there's a different door here, different door there. And I just want to make sure uh, that I'm in the right building, in the right meeting. Um, 
A police finally let me in, and he went and checked all the rooms, because the meeting was supposed to be at the police department. He checked all the rooms, and then he checked the schedule to see, he said, there's no uh, Veterans Advisory Committee even scheduled there, and he checked all the meetings. And then uh, even that day, I called all the numbers, the fire department numbers that are on there to call. I didn't get any answers. So I just want to make sure uh, I'm in the right place, and this is where the meeting is supposed to be every third uh, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. And um, I called, I had got a number number to call, and I called, they finally called me back two days ago, a lady named Elisa. She said she's new, so she don't really know what's going on. She's trying to find out too. So I just want to make sure before the next meeting we have the right information, because I want to do my part. Thank you very much. I'm going to um, refer you to uh, uh, Joseph uh, Perez, who is my council aide, and he will make sure that we get to the meeting, you, to the proper meetings. I apologize if there was any miscommunication. Thank, Thank you. you. Actually, if you can go ahead and also meet with the fire chief, he's in the back corner. He's actually the one that leads the community, the Veterans Commission. He's back there. Okay. All right. Thank you. The next speaker is Cheryl, followed by Sandra C., followed by Lois Morera. Good evening. I commented before that there are several of us encouraging residents to attend or watch online the council meetings. We, the residents of Chula Vista, need to do a better job of paying attention to what goes on in the City Hall and with our city leadership. We are so grateful and thankful to San Diego Union Tribune and especially to La Prenza San Diego for doing the much needed investigative reporting on behind the curtain of Chula Vista politics and politicians. I hope they will continue to investigate and report because we want to know whether it's unethical, lying, illegal, conflict of interest, cronyism, or corruption. It would be nice if council members think about their conduct before they did some of these things. But it's okay. Kind of tells us who you are, right? Well, no one can control what someone is going to say here. Our group of concerned citizens are disappointed and frustrated with our council. And we want to make sure you know why we are upset and coming here to speak on the good, the bad, and the ugly of what affects us living in Chula Vista and those who are making the decisions that affect us. So we'd like to read into record a recent article titled Campanajar Wanted Professorship a la Nathan Fletcher. Created March 12, 2023. Last updated March 13, 2023 by Alberto Garcia, investigative reporter for La Prensa San Diego. A local city councilman who also holds an administration position at San Diego State University helps secure a, te a te te titular position for a political ally who was looking for consolation after losing his third election in a row. Jose Preciado, who was elected to the Chula Vista City Council in November 2022, helped secure a paid position for Amar Campanajar, a three-time candidate who lost his campaign for mayor of Chula Vista last year. Preciado currently serves as Director of General Studies at SDSU and also teaches classes in professional experience and community service. Campanajar ran unsuccessfully for the 50th Congressional District in East County in both 2018 and 2020 before changing his voter registration to a relative's condo in Eastlake to run for mayor. In case I didn't say it before, it's from La Prenza, San Diego, and this is to be continued. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor. Good evening, Council Members. 
I'm going to continue the article reading, uh, starting with Preciado endorsed Camp and Ajar when they were both candidates for office in last year's election. While Preciado won a narrow victory to claim a seat on the city council, Camp Najjar lost his race in what became the most expen expensive political campaign in Chula Vista history. In text messages sent between Camp, Camp Najjar and Preciado just three days after the November election, Camp Najjar asked Preciado for help to become a professor. I'd like to do a professor of practice a la Nathan Fletcher, Camp Najjar wrote to Preciado on November 11th. 2022, three days after losing his campaign for mayor. Campanajar then attached a link to the San Diego Union Tribune article from January 13, 2013 that covered the announcement that Nathan Fletcher, who now serves on the San Diego County Board of Supervisors, had become a professor of practice after he lost his 2012 race for the mayor of San Diego. Fletcher became the first person to serve as a professor of practice at UCSD, an adjunct professorship offered based on professional experience, not academic credentials. Fletcher, who claims to have received a Bachelor of Science degree in political science from California Baptist University in Riverside, California, refused to provide his college transcript during the mayor's campaign, and UCSD later admitted they never requested or reviewed his transcript in connection with the teaching position. Of the 58 professors in UCSD's political science department, Fletcher was the only one without a doctorate. Fletcher had previously served 10 years in the U.S. Marine Corps, including a combat tour in Iraq, and was elected in the, in the California State Assembly in 2008 and 2010, but lost his bid for mayor in the 2012 primary election, as well as in the 2013 special election to replace Filner after the mayor had resigned amid a sexual harassment scandal. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Lois Morera, followed by Robert Ng. Hello. In contrast to Fletcher, Kampanajar has run for office three times, but has never served in public office. Kampanajar graduated from SDSU in 2013 with a dual Bachelor of Arts degree in philosophy and psychology, but has no advanced degree. You certainly have the experience, Preciado responded to Kampajit Najjar after his request for a professorship. Let's see what we can work on, Preciado added. Would love to at Southwestern College or SDSU, Kampanajar responded. Thanks, Jose, that would be a great consolation, Kampanajar wrote to Preciado. Kampanajar's reference to Fletcher raises similarities between the two politicians. Fletcher had taken a full-time role as Senior Director of Corporate Development at Qualcomm after receiving political contributions from billionaire Qualcomm co-founder Erwin Jacobs and other Jacobs family members for both his 2012 and 2013 failed mayoral campaigns. Jacobs and other campaign supporters then donated funding to UCSD to cover the $22,500 annual stipend Fletcher received for his professorship. Kampanajar also received large political contributions from Erwin Jacobs and other members of his wealthy family during his mayoral campaign. Jacobs' granddaughter, Sarah Jacobs, who is the congresswoman for the 49th district, has been dating Kampanajar since 2019. 
During the 22 Chula Vista's mayor's race, Campanajar's opponent, Councilman John McCann, accused Campanajar of living with Jacobs at her downtown San Diego condo while running for Chula Vista mayor. McCann released surveillance videos of Campanajar driving in and out of Jacobs' condo complex for over 30 consecutive days during the final months of the election as well as pictures of packages addressed to Company Jar delivered to Jacob's doorstep. The next speaker is Robert Ng, followed by Olivia Garcia, followed by Gina E. Council members, Mr. Mayor, good evening. Company Jar maintained that he lived in Chula Vista condo, in a Chula Vista condo with his maternal aunt, her husband and her daughter. In addition to Company Jar, and those relatives, four other people also lived, are registered to vote at the same address, including his mother, grandmother, brother, and another aunt. McCann went on to win the November election by nearly 3,000 votes. SDSU backtracks. In mid-January 2023, SDSU posted an announcement of a new civic engagement initiative headed by Kampa Najjar as, quote, executive director in residence and aimed at connecting SDSU students with internships in government and nonprofit organizations. The page included a large picture of Kampa Najjar standing in front of the U.S. Capitol building, which he had used during his congressional campaigns. Kampa Najjar was listed in the SDSU staff directory as, quote, Amar Najjar, unquote, even though he had legally changed his name from Amar Yasser Najjar to Amar Joseph Kampa Najjar in 2017. The reference to his name in an email remained from the time when Kampa Najjar was a student at SDSU before graduating in 2013. La Prensa San Diego submitted the California Public Records Act request to SDSU on January 22nd. 2023 for documents related to Campanejar's employment. The next day, a representative from SDSU responded that, quote, Amar Najjar is a volunteer in faculty advisement and student success and therefore does not have any responsive documents regarding your request. Two days later, La Prensa San Diego submitted a broader request for, quote, all emails, agreements, correspondence, or other documents unquote, related to Campanajar's work with SDSU. After that second request, SDSU removed the picture and references to Campanajar from its website and replaced it with a generic page describing the program. On January 31st, SDSU launched an official application process to fill the new position of Executive Director of Partnerships with a salary range of $4,100 to $5,500 per month, and expressly waived the requirement for an advanced degree. Thank you. The next speaker is Olivia Garcia, followed by Gina E., followed by Barbara Todd. Good evening. The qualifications outlined previous experience very much in line with Kampanajar's background, including, quote, success in communicating effectively with diverse constituencies, 
demonstrated understanding and lived, um, lived experience of priority uh, civic issues impacting the San Diego region, experience as a community or field organizer, and have expertise or demonstrated uh, commitment to developing expertise in cross-cultural communication and collaboration, end of quote. The application process was open through February 15th. Then on February 22nd, La Monica Everett Haynes, Associate Vice President and Chief Communications Officer for SDSU, emailed La Prensa San Diego with an update on the process and an announcement that the program had been concealed, canceled, sorry. Um, quote, there have been a number of delays related to the program timeline and in late February, it was also identified that there is a lack of student financial aid funding and staffing shortages in the faculty advancement and student success unit, end of quote. Everett, Everett Hayes wrote, Quote, as a result, the program will not move forward, end of quote. Project canceled after media questions. This week, SDSU responded to La Prensa, San Diego's second request with 67 pages of documents, including emails, text messages, and other documents related to Campanajar that show how the program was created and then summarily canceled after La Prensa, San Diego requested pu public documents. Among the documents are text messages between Campanajar and Preciado showing how the concept developed just days after his election loss and how Preciado uh, connected Campanajar with Dr. Joanna Brooks, Vice President for Faculty Advancement and Student Su Success. Thank you. The next speaker is Gina E, followed by Barbara Todd, followed by Anna. Good evening. The documents show that by mid-January, Kampa Najjar had been offered a memorandum of understanding agreement outlining it as, quote, a partnership of general studies, Office of Academic Community Engagement, the Department of Rhetoric and Writing Studies, and ACN Strategies, LLC, end quote. ACN Strategies LLC is Kampanajar's consulting company, which he has maintained since at least 2015. Official financial filings Kampanajar submitted during his congressional campaigns show that his company had as little as $5,000 to $15,000 of income in years that he was running for office. The company was created in Washington, D.C., but is not listed with the state of California's Secretary of State as a foreign company doing business in the state of California. As such, ACN Strategies, LLC, should not be conducting business in California. The Memorandum of Understanding outlines specific tasks Kampanajar's consulting company would perform including contacting community stakeholders and elected officials in the South Bay area of the county, including Chula Vista, where Campanajar ran for office, as well as work to be performed by Preciado and two other San Diego State University staffers. 
The agreement outlined that cost for Kampanajar's position of, of ugh, excuse me, of $5,000 would be funded by, quote, consultant fee via foundation, end quote, implying that Kampanajar would help raise private donations to cover his own position, much like Fletcher did at University of California in San Diego. The San Diego State University documents also show drafts of handouts created to promote the initiative, including one featuring a picture of Kampanajar taken at a fundraising event during his congressional campaign. The next speaker is Barbara Todd, followed by Anna, followed by Henry Martinez. Good evening. The handouts claim SDSU and Amar Kampanajar are launching the Civic Engagement Initiative for Rising Juniors, students with 60-plus units by May of 2023, who want to build experience tackling challenges that matter to San Diego. The agreement, dated January 11, 2023, was signed by Preciado, Campanajar, Brooks, and Glenn McClish, chair of the Department of Rhetoric and Writing Studies. Coincidentally, that was the same day La Prensa San Diego had made its first contact with someone from SDSU regarding Campanajar's involvement with the project. Early that morning, La Prensa San Diego's publisher, Art Castaneras, emailed Preciado asking if he would confirm Campanajar's employment at the university. Quote, hi, Jose. I wanted to see if you can confirm that Amar has a job at SDSU, Castaneras wrote in at 9.27 a.m. email. The online directory shows he is in the same department as you. Do you know if that is correct? Do you know what position he has? The directory does not list a title or a phone number. Preciado did not respond to the request for information. But text messages in SDSU's response include an exchange between Campanajar and Preciado discussing La Prensa's inquiry less than one hour after Castaneda's first email. Checking in. Quote, checking in. Joanna Brooks said Art Castaneda's reached out to you, Campanajar wrote to Preciado. Regarding civic engagement initiative? Yes, via email. Preciado responded and included a screen grab of Castaneda's email. The next speaker is Anna, followed by Henry Martinez, followed by Laura D. Good evening. The day after MOU was signed, an SDSU support staffer asked Captain Najar to confirm his, his information so she could order his SDSU business cards. Good morning, Amar. I will be ordering your SDSU business cards, wrote Claire Kreiss, an administrative support coordinator. Can you please let me know when you have an SDSU email, if you'll have an office and your work phone number? Two weeks later, Brooks informed the group that the foundation supported elements of the plan would be paused. Just a heads up that we were pausing for now paperwork on the foundation supported elements of the plan. Brooks wrote on January the 27th, 
I was not aware until yesterday of some single source contracting documentation requirements have been in consultation with leadership to ensure that I'm doing everything by the book. Brooks' email just came days before the university launched an official hiring process to fill the position of the executive director of the initiative, but more than two weeks after having signed the MOU with Camp Nishar. The February 11th email from SDSU Provost Salvador Hector Ochoa to La Prensa San Diego included comments that make more sense after reviewing the internal emails and messages released this week. Ochoa's comments included an explanation that the website announcement was incorrect and that the new processing meets the university's best practice of using an open hiring process implying that the selection of Camp Najjar had been concluded without following the established hiring process. Thank you. The next speaker is Henry Martinez, followed by Laura D., followed by Delia Dominguez Cervantes. Good evening, Mayor John McCann, City Council members, and the City of Chula Vista. I'm Henry Martinez from District 3 with a deep concern of a District 3 issue. Uh, continue on on La Presa, investigating reporting. SDSU Provost Salvador Hector Ochoa stated, however, no executive director has been hired and no funding has been received nor expended related to the program's development at any time. The website information was not correct. Ochoa wrote, further, while it is not university policy, it is considered best practice for any position such as this to go to an open search to fill the role. The Facility Advancement and Student Success Unit has launched a search alleged with university best practices, and the department looks forward to reviewing all candidates. It should be fair for a person to get selected for a certain position, especially a special position. This application process closed for four days later. The following week, SDSU leadership canceled the initiative. Let me say it again. The following week, SDSU leadership canceled the initiative. When reached for comment this week in response to released documents, Camp Manajar gave a short comment, self-explanatory, and referred La Prensa San Diego to Brooks. Preciado did not respond to a request for a comment on his involvement in securing the position for Campa Manajar. I say again, Preciado did not respond to a request for comment on his involvement in securing the position for Campa Nadajar. Fletcher did not respond to a request from a comment on Camp Nadajar's comparison to him and his similar position at UCSD. Future in politics, just days after November election, Campa Nadajar was working to secure an appointment to fill a vacancy on the City Chula Vista Council created when City Council's Tipadilla District 3 representative, where I reside in, uh, resigned upon winning a seat in the California State Senate in the same election. Padilla represented the third city council district with the south of the first city council district with Camp Manajar and registered to vote. City council members, including appointment members, must live within the respected districts. I, Henry Martinez, make sure that 
city council members are qualified to run within their district, especially District 3. Thank you. The next speaker is Laura D. followed by Delia Dominguez Cervantes. Mayor, city, uh, council members, continuing. The city council had the option to fill the vacancy with a majority vote of the remaining members or to call a special election to about to allow voters to select a representative. The council voted on December 13th to begin a selection process to fill the vacancy. Kampanajar lobbied for the appointment, which would have required him to move and register to vote in the adjacent district, but he eventually decided not to pursue the appointment. The council appointed local developer Alonso Gonzalez to fill the re remainder of Padilla's term through December 2024 but Gonzalez is barred by the city charter from running for a full term next year. Sources within the Democratic Party maintain that Kampanachar is interested in running for the third council district in next year's election, but as of last week, was still registered to vote in the same condo in District 1. Kampanachar has also expressed interest in running for Congress in the South Bay District, currently held by Congressman Juan Vargas. Vargas has maintained that he has no plans to retire, and political observers doubt Kampanajar would challenge the popular Democratic congressman. Others who would likely be interested in running to replace Congressman Vargas in this safe Democratic seat could include San Diego County Board of Supervisors Chair Nora Vargas, former State Senator Ben Hueso, State Assemblyman David Alvarez, and other local elected officials. Congressman Marcus's district includes the area of the South Bay from the border, Chula Vista, National City, Bonita, Paradise Hills, and East San Diego to El Cajon Boulevard. The final speaker under public comments is Delia Dominguez Cervantes. If anybody else wish to speak, please come see us up here. Numerous investigative reports published by the UT and La Prensa San Diego confirm we should question your motives and decisions. Issues around residency, misrepresentations, cannabis connections, FPPC violations, conflicts of interest, lack of transparency, cronyism, nepotism, contractor lobbying, outside influences connected to city, sitting city councils, county supervisors, school and water boards, Money transfers between one entity and another. If it walks like a duck, looks like a duck, you know how to complete the sentence. Actions speak louder than words. Here are some of your actions. You refuse to allow the community of District 3 to elect their own representative because it risks someone being elected not of your choice. You refuse to allow our citywide elected mayor to represent us at Sandag because he is not of your party. You refuse still to publicly state you oppose any road user fee tax. Silence is consent. Declare a resolution to fight the road user fee tax or we will continue to believe that you support it. A statement issued just today, quote, the mileage tax is still part of Sandag's regional transportation plan. Even though there's been discussion of removing it at Sandag, the tax remains, and California is looking to implement its own mileage tax. 
In December 2021, SANDAG passed its regional transportation plan to fund its $160 billion project. SANDAG must raise taxes. The plan calls for three half-cent sales tax increases over the next few years, end of quote. We also expect you to get your commitment out that you oppose the 2025 Sandag road user tax fee. Please ensure that it does not include it. Declare a resolution to fight the road user fee tax or we will have to assume that you support it. Sandag opted for a road user fee so they wouldn't need our vote. A rose is a rose, still our money. In the end, it is the children whom you deprive by not fighting against it. You have no problem taking food out of the mouth of our babes? Leave our children alone. Your multiple attempts to quiet us only accomplishes the opposite. You see us here. Are there any e-comments? There um, are several e-comments that were received by um, one individual regarding um, homelessness and um, transparency and accountability. Thank you very much. Now we will move to item 7.1, the Housing Authority bond issuance approval, the issuance sale delivery of a tax-exempt multifamily housing revenue. This is a public hearing and uh, Madam City Manager, if you would uh, provide the presentation. Thank you, we do have a presentation. Uh, good evening, Mayor McCann and uh, City Council members. My name is Brad Neal and I'm with Stradling, Yaka, Carlson and Routh. I am bond counsel to the Housing Authority on its uh, multifamily housing revenue bonds and have been for um, quite some time now, I think uh, going on about 20 years. And uh, tonight uh, we're here uh, and, and uh, Michelle Ito of uh, Meta Housing Corporation is here as well to uh, request that the City Council take action uh, to provide supplemental financing for the Otay Ranch Apartments Complex, also known as uh, Encelia. Uh, it's currently being um, marketed as Encelia. Uh, just a, 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 a brief slide on um, the uh, City Council's authority and the Housing Authority's uh, authorization to uh, issue uh, bonds for uh, financings like this. Uh, state and federal uh, tax law uh, authorize uh, local governments such as the Housing Authority to issue um, private activity bonds, multifamily housing revenue bonds to finance the acquisition, construction, and equip equipping of uh, low-income uh, um, housing projects. Um, what the developer gets out of the uh, bond issuance is they get uh, tax-exempt, uh, low-cost, uh, below-market, uh, long-term financing for the project. And in exchange, uh, they agree with the Housing Authority to uh, restrict uh, certain units within the project to um, uh, low-income units and very low-income units. Um, restricted to um, very low income units are restricted to 50% of uh, the area media income and low income units are restricted to 60% of the uh, area median income. 
And on this slide, you see for a, a family of four, that's the very low income uh, restriction is to uh, a, a total income of around 65,000. And for the low income units, that's uh, around 78,000. And the restrictions last for uh, 55 years for the project. Um, the housing authority is a conduit issuer. There's no money of the housing authority that's pledged to the repayment of these uh, obligations. And uh, there's no money of the uh, city that's pledged to the repayment of the obligations. The obligations are paid solely by the, uh, the revenues of the project itself. Um, the housing authority's only obligation ongoing is to monitor the compliance with the, um, uh, the rent restrictions on an ongoing basis, and the developer pays the housing authority an annual administration fee to pay for that, uh, th that service. So there's uh, two actions that are being uh, requested tonight. Uh, the, the, the first is um, action by the city council uh, to comply with the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act. Uh, it's, it's a federal act, and for Private activity bonds, such as um, these multifamily housing revenue bonds, uh, the, the TEFRA requires that uh, the, the local jurisdiction in, in, in which the project is located uh, hold a public hearing and allow anyone interested in uh, speaking about the project to come forward. And then following the public hearing, it requires that the uh, local jurisdiction, in this case the city of Chula Vista, uh, adopt a resolution uh, approving the housing authority to to then go ahead and, and issue the uh, tax exempt obligations. Um, this is uh, the, the the second time that um, obligations will be uh, issued for this project, um, and this slide shows a brief history of uh, of of the actions that have previously been taken by the. Uh, city Council both uh, in its hat as uh, City Council and also as the Board of the Housing Authority. In um, 2019, the, uh, the, the Housing Authority adopted a, an inducement resolution for $70 million and the City Council adopted a TEFRA to, um, to authorize the financing of this project. Um, subsequently, in, in February of 2020, the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee, SIDLAC, uh, allocated $35 million uh, in tax-exempt financing to this project. Um, the uh, tax-exempt notes were issued for this project in December 2020. And uh, following that, there has been uh, a, a delay in the, um, uh, the construction of the project and increases in costs that are related to the pandemic, uh, which is why uh, Meta Housing has requested um, that these additional obligations be authorized by the, uh, the housing authority. So the, the, um, uh, following the TEFRA, the housing authority is being asked to adopt a resolution which would authorize uh, two series of, of uh, notes. One is uh, a tax-exempt note uh, in the amount of $4 million, which has also been um, approved by SIDLAC, and then a uh, taxable series of notes uh, which um, I believe you've uh, received a, a slide to increase that amount to 1.5 million, and um, uh, Michelle can explain uh, um, the, the reasons why the, the project has um, had increased costs. 
Great. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Thank you, City Council, for letting us meet about this. Uh, as Brad mentioned, I'm Michelle Ito. I'm with Meta Housing. And I have a bit of a presentation about the project and kind of why we're here today. Um, so Encelia is a project located within uh, Village 8 West. Uh, next slide. <clears throat> uh, so it's located within Village 8 West, which is a master developer development site. Um, it's off of La Media Road at a new address that's uh, titled 1910 Encelia Circle. So a little bit about the project and uh, what it encompasses. It is three buildings, um, and it produces 175 units. That's one, two, and three bedroom units. Um, it is, Brad mentioned, it is affordable. It's 100% affordable. Um, so it does uh, have rents ranging from 50% to 60% of the average median income. And these rents are restricted not just with the state through the tax credit allocation committee, but we also have recorded covenant with the city as well for that affordability for 55 years. Um, as part, uh, in addition to the affordable housing units, there's also about 10,000 square feet of commercial located within one of the buildings as well. Um, this building, or this project, is highly amenitized. It has multiple community rooms, it has a teen lounge, a dog park, a tot lot, half basketball court, basketball, um, sorry, barbecue places, as well as, uh, as, as well as a fitness room. So it's a highly amenitized. And as part of our uh, commitment um, for the financing, we also provide um, on-site uh, residential services at no cost. So these include health and wellness classes, after-school programming, um, again, at no cost to residents. <clears throat> so one of the unique aspects of this project is that it is located within a master development site that is currently under construction as well. Um, so the, uh, the depiction on the right shows the Village 8 West and kind of where we are located within it. It's that red-shaped um, teardrop is where our site is located. Um, and on the left-hand side of the screen is actually the site plan of our project. So Building 1 is located in the northeast uh, corner, Building 2 the south, and then Building 3 is on the, uh, the west side. Um, and one of the things that uh, was very unique about this project is that uh, there was a City of San Diego pipeline that ran underneath our project site. So the master developer, um, as part of their site work for the project, relocated that City of San Diego pipeline in order for us to begin construction on this site. Um, unfortunately, uh, it took longer than anticipated to complete that, uh, that relocation, um, and that's one of the reasons why uh, we have uh, incurred additional construction costs, which I'll explain in a bit. Um, but just to kind of go over the timeline, uh, we did apply for tax-exempt bonds and tax credits in September 2019. Um, we, were, we closed financing in December 2020 during the pandemic. Um, and then at the time that we closed financing, we had anticipated and were told that the uh, completion of that City of San Diego pipeline would take place by April 2021. Um, so we had always anticipated to wait a few months to start construction, then start construction on Building 2, which was unaffected by the City of San Diego pipeline. Um, we would have about one month of, of construction and then would be able to start construction on buildings one and three. Um, unfortunately, uh, there were delays, as I mentioned, um, and we were actually held off on beginning construction 
um, for building two, that was until June 2021, but for buildings one and three, that did not take place until February 2022. So we've been in construction for a little over a year now with those two buildings. So there's some major impacts. Um, that is why we have requested um, and been allocated supplemental bonds from the California Debt Limit Allocation Committee. Um, as I mentioned, we did apply for those tax-exempt bonds um, before the pandemic, and so we really did not anticipate um, the uh, market volatility that came with the, with the pandemic. Um, and unfortunately, we cannot ask for more bonds unless it's through a supplemental process like this one. Um, additionally, uh, the, that delay in, in site work um, that took place through the master development, um, that unfortunately um, uh, resulted in subcontractors for the project not being able to hold their pricing with their suppliers, and there was a considerable market increase in materials um, due to the pandemic. So we uh, quickly, the project absorbed a lot of material escalations in construction. And then lastly, um, you know, there has been rapid increases in interest rates, um, and we have been prone to that. So although when we closed financing in December 2020, um, and we had sized an interest reserve based off of rates at that time, plus a cushion, that's industry standard, but because of the rapid rise and increase, um, it's far exceeded what we had budgeted as an interest reserve for the project. So that combination has really culminated into um, construction cost increases for the project. Um, next slide. So the reason why this is important, and, and Brad kind of alluded to this, is that this is a 4% tax credit project, which means we do uh, create Tax, uh, tax credits because this is an affordable housing project which produces equity, which helps us make keep it be affordable for us. Um, now, a requirement for to maintain or claim those 4% tax credits is we have to have a certain amount of the tax-exempt bonds be no less than the depreciable basis plus land of the project. So it, that test is a 50% test. So essentially, the amount of tax-exempt bonds for the project cannot be any less than 50% of the eligible base, the depreciable basis plus land. So unfortunately, because we have incurred additional costs, that denominator has grown, and so we are no longer meeting that 50% test. And the reason why that is an issue is that you cannot claim those 4% tax credits without making without achieving that test. So we are at risk of, of not being able to claim those tax credits and produce the equity for the project. Now, a lot of projects in the state of California are in a very similar boat due to the pandemic and the rapid in in increases in interest rates. So uh, there has been a set aside um, of the state volume cap that California Debt Limit Allocation Committee um, approved specifically for projects like these to request supplemental allocations since there is in the industry um, a variety of projects that meet that meet that requirement that meet that need for additional bonds and we are one of them so we worked with the city of chula vista and the uh, development services department to apply for additional tax tax exempt bonds for the project to help us meet that 50 percent test <clears throat> So um, I do wanna kind of talk about where we are with the project right now, um, since we are partway through construction. 
So this is an aerial photo taken in January earlier this year. Um, building two is the one on the left-hand side. It is the most uh, completed at this point. Um, overall, at the project, we're about 68, 69% construction complete. Building two is further along. It also encompasses about half of the affordable, half of the units at the project. So um, we are expecting to complete building two um, in June of 2023. Uh, and we have been working closely with the city to phase occupancy so that as soon as one building is done, we can move in tenants. Building one is the one that is framed in that photo. It's fully framed now. Um, and that one includes the commercial space on the ground floor. And then building three, which is in the back there, it is, is in the process of being framed right now. And, uh, but that one, unlike the other two buildings, is only three stories. So we do anticipate building one and building three to be completed around the same time this fall. Next slide. So just sticking to kind of some more recent construction photos of building two, um, we have been working with SDG&E and are expected to be uh, powered um, of building two in early April. Um, the exterior is ongoing, uh, kind of trying to work with the rain right now, but we're uh, making headway on the stucco. And then um, in terms of the interiors, uh, we have uh, cabinets throughout the building of building two, countertops are now in, and then now we're working on the flooring. So just to kind of give you an idea of where we're at in construction. Uh, so as I mentioned, we have been working close with the city to uh, get a, a phased occupancy of the project. So we do expect to be fully complete by November 2023, but building two in particular to be completed this summer and to start leasing half of those units at the project. Um, and, uh, and then the number of units is on the left-hand side as well for each building. Uh, so I'm happy to answer any questions you may have, um, but I really do hope that um, you can take action to approve um, the TEFRA and the issuance of these additional bonds for the project since it is critical for its financing. Um, and you know, we do hope that uh, with this additional financing and the completion of construction, this will be a great project for the city of Chula Vista. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, this is a public hearing. Um, so I will go ahead and allow the council to ask you questions as well as the staff questions. Again, I would just advise the council not to make any comments about the project because that will come later after the uh, public hearing is closed, uh, but definitely um, allow you to provide or ask questions. Uh, the first question comes from Member Preciado. Thank you for your presentation. I just have a, a question. I've, I've I am going to make it a habit to ask all developers who are producing affordable housing uh, stock to describe um, how the public potentially will have access to that. Or do you have a lottery system or do you have, and, and that's all I'm really trying to sure. ascertain. Like, the project looks fine the other way, just if you can publicly state sure. what's, what's the process. Yes, so our property management company, they do have currently a phone number and an email address. Um, so folks who are interested, and we start this at the very beginning of construction, open that number up to anyone to uh, put their name, their contact information to join that interest list. Because this is affordable housing, there is an income verification process and there's a freshness date, so we can't process applicants too soon before we start to actually lease up the building. 
But that being said, we start contacting everyone on that interest list as well as doing robust marketing in the area. We provide a pre-application screening and then we bring them in for an interview. So our intention is to work with everyone. There's not necessarily a wait list until we're fully occupied, um, but those on the interest list have a much better shot of kind of getting their foot in the door. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, do we have any other members who would like? Yes, Mr. Alonso, uh, Mr. Gonzalez. Quick question. Thank you for your presentation as well. Um, some of the details were site specific, although we did get the, the larger aerial picture. But would you mind um, briefly describing what is across planned across yes. the street? from the project in sure. each direction? Yeah, there's actually a market rate project right across the street that completed construction uh, about a year ago. Um, so that one is being leased up right now and that uh, building is owned by the master developer. Um, so that project is, is market rate um, and is actually uh, uh, seeking occupancy right now. Um, that's on one side of the street. The other side of the street um, is an intended dog park. Um, and then there's also an intended gas station, which I think just started construction very recently, although they may be waiting for the rain to really start construction. Um, but, uh, but the whole Village 8 West has a lot of commercial spaces. Um, it has a lot of market rate single family homes. Um, so there's a variety of, uh, of entitled, um, uh, entitled uses at, uh, within the village. Thank you. Any more questions? Uh, go ahead, uh, Member Allen. Do you have? Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Just a, a note for the record: the item that was published with the agenda does reference that the amount of the taxable note would be a million dollars. That has been increased to one point five. That information was distributed to you on the dais, um, so you do have a revised um, staff report and resolution reflecting the increase from 1 million to 1.5 and some minor modifications to table one and the pro forma. So just want to make that note for the record. Thank you. Great, and um, looks like all the council members on the dais have received that. Uh, thank you very much, Ms. Allen. Um, now we'll go ahead and then, thank you, uh, Michelle, uh, for your, or your presentation. I'm gonna now go ahead and open the public hearing. Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers or any e-comments? We do have one speaker on this item, John Acosta. Uh, thank you for your presentation. Um, I counted 175 units. I counted 175 units. However, the only small transportation I saw was somebody on a bicycle. I didn't see no parking spaces at all whatsoever. Are you allowing or considering any parking spaces? Um, Madam somebody, somebody, anybody. Uh, Madam Ito, <laughs> uh, you're welcome to come up uh, and answer those questions. Thank you, Mr. Acosta. Well, that was only part of my question. Yeah, just let allow her to answer okay. that first. Uh, yes, there is uh, within the site plan that there is uh, parking and there's also carport parking. Um, so we're about one to one for residential um, with uh, parking within the site plan. That's correct. And Mr. Acosta, why, why don't you, uh, if you have additional questions, uh, uh, ask all the questions and then we'll have Miss Ito come back up so she can answer them. For okay, you. okay. Uh, one and Ms., uh, Mr. Costa, go ahead and oh, move you your mic. Okay, uh, uh, move your mic. Uh, your mic back. Uh, sorry, it can I get my got moved. Back? So. Back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We've paused it.
had already paused it. Okay. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned that it's going to be a, a gas station across the street. Um, but you know, however, you didn't mention anything regarding the in and outs, the uh, roads, the uh, streets coming in to the uh, this area. How is that going to affect the, uh, their neighbors? How is it going to affect what's already there? How is it going to affect the population living there? Right now, as you know, there's only uh, three main streets going to East Lake, which are L Street, H, and uh, Telegraph Road, and, and uh, Olympic. So you know, in the mornings and in the afternoons, it gets uh, overwhelmed. So are you all making any plans for that? Expansions or open a new road? So how are you all going to do that? Thank you. Uh, I'll try my best to answer. I'm not as familiar with the master plan. Um, we're specifically bringing in just to provide the, uh, the project for the uh, affordable housing component. Um, that being said, uh, the, the master plan, as well as our project through the entitlements process, did have to put together a traffic study in order to assess what the future amount of traffic is going to take place as we build the master, the master plan. Um, in addition, uh, we also, uh, as part of the master developer, has uh, included and has already built a lot of the roads that go within the, within the village. That's one of the first items that uh, takes place. So so, um, uh, so yeah, through the entitlement process, we've had traffic studies done, um, and those entitlements have been approved by development services. Thank you. Um, Mr. Acosta, did you have another question? Uh, yes. You're welcome to come to the uh, yes. Thank you. you know, traffic studies are uh, a miss because, you know, they, they, I'm familiar with uh, traffic studies, but they put a counter there for 24 hours, and if there's 100 cars going by in one hour, they count it for 24 hours. Those are mis you know, a misunderstanding because all that traffic is in the morning and the afternoon, and they uh, take and take account at time-wise. You know, they have 24 hours periods. That's how they count the, the engineers count that. Why? Why you know that? Because it's affecting my neighborhood. They put a counter there. You know, they say there's 100 cars coming in in, uh, in 24 hours. Where in actuality, it was within one hour. Uh, and, you know, so uh, be careful when you do the. In, the Thank you, Madam Clerk. Do we have any more speakers? There are no additional speakers and no e-comments on this item. Okay. I will go ahead then and close the public hearing. And then the first item is a Resolution A. Uh, I will go ahead and make the motion for Resolution A. So moved. Do I have a second? We have a motion and a second for Resolution A. This is Madam, item. Go ahead. Excuse me, sorry. This is item 7.1A, resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, approving the sale, execution, and delivery of additional multifamily housing revenue notes of the Housing Authority of the City of Chula Vista for Otay Ranch Apartments. Please vote. Item passes unanimously. Uh, now we will move on to the resolution B. Uh, do we have any questions or comments from the council? Seeing none, I'll go ahead and make the motion for resolution B for 7.1. Do I have a second? I have a second. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, Madam Clerk, please read the heading. Item 7.1B is resolution of the city council 
excuse me, resolution of the Chula Vista Housing Authority authorizing the execution and delivery of its tax-exempt multifamily housing revenue note and taxable multifamily housing revenue note for the purpose of providing additional financing for the acquisition and construction of the Otay Ranch Apartments multifamily rental housing project, approving and authorizing the execution and delivery of any and all documents necessary to execute and deliver the notes, complete the transaction and implement this resolution, and ratifying and approving any action heretofore taken in connection with the notes. Please vote. Item passes unanimously. Thank you very much. I'm gonna go ahead and now uh, take the agenda out of order real quick because I see one of my favorite people Sandy Scheller is here, and I'm going to go down, and um, I've already read it, but I want to come down and present it to you and uh, make sure that we uh, document the end picture. Thank you. Traffic. You have no idea. Can I just say hi to everybody? Yes, yes. Well, you can. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Sandy, I was going to give you an opportunity uh, to talk about this because I think this is um, very important uh, why we recognize this and do the proclamation. All right. Thank so. you. Um, I was with one of my favorite people today. Early in the morning, 7.30, Lothian Skelton. And that's Red Skelton's wife. And, and I was with uh, Jonathan Lee Iverson, who's the ringmaster who, from Ringling Brothers Circus, who is the last ringmaster from the big circus. And we, we had a talk. Lothian's a lot older. I'm Jewish. Jonathan is black. And if you took away the old and you took away the Jewish, and you took away the fact that Jonathan is black, who are we as people? Are we still kind? Are we still warm? Are we still giving? And that's what we look at. And it's not just what has happened in the world, but the fact that it's beyond that. And, and I had something happen to me which was really amazing, John. I got a phone call from somebody last month, and they said, we know you're doing a new Holocaust exhibit. We know it's going to be in, in East County. How can I help you? How can I get my volunteers to help you? Right, Jose? Just like that, getting a phone call. It's the love of the city. It's the love of the people. And this is what's so important to me. So I know I'm late, but... I'm here. We're happy to have you. <laughs> We're just so happy to have you. We love you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Like you, Chow. Can I give you a hug? Oh, of course. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I love y'all. I just really love y'all. And you too. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
and properly managing our time. Um, the meeting started at five o'clock and uh, we need to make sure that we're giving our interpreters a break. Uh, so I would um, say that we need to take at least a 10 minute break and uh, resume back here. Uh, well, I'll say uh, at 7.10 by the clock on the uh, dais clock. Unfortunately, that isn't the same time it seems to everybody else's watch. Oh, did it get fixed? Okay, well, see, we have an awesome city manager that fixed the clock. Um, so um, if we can have uh, everybody back here who would like to continue at 7.10. Thank you.
And we will move to item 7.2. And city manager, I know we have a presentation. Okay, Go ahead. Good evening, honorable mayor and council members. Before Chris begins his presentation, I wanted to make an introductory statement regarding the suggested amendments to the municipal code you are about to hear tonight. Many of the code amendments we will bring in front of you from time to time will be as the result of a, the state legislature enacting new regulations with which we are required to comply if we want our local ordinances to remain in effect. Tonight is a good example of this. With this update to the accessory dwelling unit and junior accessory dwelling unit ordinances, we are not rezoning any properties or areas within the city to ac accommodate the state changes. This is merely an effort to bring our ordinances in compliance with recently enacted state law and to provide clarity to our customers as they seek to develop ADUs and JADUs on their properties. With that, I will turn the microphone over to Chris for his presentation. Thank you, Mr. Phillips. Uh, good evening, Honorable Mayor, members of the City Council. My name is Chris Malik, Senior Planner with the Development Services Department. I'm here tonight to present recommended amendments to the Chula Vista Municipal Code for accessory dwelling units and junior accessory dwelling units. On January 1st of this year, both Senate Bill 897 and Assembly Bill 2221 became effective, and both contained changes to existing ADU and junior ADU regulations. Local jurisdictions that have an existing ordinance and are non-compliance with these new bills risk having their ADU and JADU ordinances become null and void on the effective date. The first set of changes from the state concerned development standards for the maximum height and setbacks associated with ADUs. Originally, the maximum height standard for detached ADUs was 16 feet, and now the height can be increased to 18 feet if the unit is within a half mile of transit. Additionally, if it is necessary to match the ADU's roof pitch to the in-house's roof line, the height can be increased to a maximum of 20 feet. For attached ADUs, the previous height standard was, um, the maximum was also 16 feet. Now it is 25 feet high, or as high as the underlying zoning designation allows, whichever is less of the two. This is also regardless of proximity to transit. And then lastly and previously, um, ADUs had to strictly follow front yard setback guidelines for the underlying zoning designation. With these new state laws, a front yard setback alone cannot prohibit the construction of a minimum 800 square foot ADU, provided that the unit first complies with the four foot side and rear yard setback requirements. Here's a map of all transit stops within the city limits and half mile buffers around each transit stop. The yellow sh uh, shading indicates those areas within a one half mile uh, radius from transit. And just to point out too, when we measure the half mile radius, like in terms of reviewing an application for an ADU, um, it's not merely just placing the half mile buffer on the property and diagonally drawing a line, it's the actual walking distance from property line along the sidewalk to the, the bus stop. So I just wanted to point that out. State changes to the JADU regulations include the requirement to now consider non-habitable rooms like garages, storage rooms, et cetera, as part of the overall residence. Previously, it was unclear in state law whether or not these non-habitable areas were eligible conversion to JADUs. Some interpretations include a dwelling only constitutes just off of its living and habitable space, now it is clearly stated that non-habitable areas are eligible to be used as a JADU. And additionally, when a JADU shares a bathroom with a primary dwelling, an interior entry will now be required between the JADU and the primary residence to keep it separate and independent also of any exterior entrances for the JADU. 
The state has also changed how ADUs and JADUs are to be reviewed and processed. Cities are now required to provide a full list of comments to the applicant when the city has reviewed their plans for an ADU or junior ADU. If there is a problem with the plans or if the plans are denied, the city must also provide to the applicant information on how the application can be remedied. To date, this is a practice the city has already been performing but has now been codified into state law. Additionally, a demolition permit for a detached garage that's also being replaced by an ADU must be reviewed and issued at the same time as the ADU permit. This is also another practice the city has already been performing. And then last but not least, the city cannot deny an ADU or junior ADU application solely to address non-conforming zoning conditions, building code violations, or unpermitted structures. Now, if the only comment on a building permit review is the applicant must legalize any structures, that alone can no longer be the basis for an ADU or junior ADU denial. We solely have to look at the application itself that's being reviewed. And I just want to clarify, too, that when we're talking about ADU application, ADU permit, um, it, it basically means that it's a building permit submittal that we're, that we're reviewing that's being processed through the city. Um, the state has also clarified the definition for, of objective standards as reflected on the screen and that this is an important clarification and distinction needed. And the city is looking at establishing objective standards within our own design guidelines um, using this guidance from the state at a, at a, at a future time. Uh, city staff is also proposing amendments aside from uh, state law uh, to the ADU and junior ADU ordinances by adding additional clarity within the current regulations associated specifically with ADU standards. There's a need to provide clarity on how many ADUs are currently allowed on multifamily properties. The current regulations can be confusing in determining how many attached or AD detached ADUs are allowed and which standards apply to them. With the suggested amendments, it will be clearer to our customers and our staff as well regarding how many ADUs will be allowed on multifamily parcels. And the second recommendation from staff is to add a multifamily definition to the regulations for the purposes of constructing an ADU. And this proposed definition clarifies that solely for the purposes of ADUs, a multifamily structure is a structure with two or more dwellings located on a single lot. At minimum, a duplex structure would qualify as a multifamily structure, as well as any structure with more attached units. Um, just to clarify, too, it doesn't qualify as if you have a single lot with multiple detached single-family dwellings, and that doesn't qualify as a multifamily structure. Thank you. And then uh, staff engaged with and convened the Development Oversight Committee um, on January 11th of this year, and overall the feedback was positive, but there was concern expressed over the changes associated with the front yard setback modification. Um, the comment was, as a result of this change, the city may now see more ADUs constructed within front yards. Um, but to clarify, though, allowing an ADU to encrunch into the front yard setback is an absolute last resort um, when citing an ADU on a property. The ADU would first have to comply with the required four-foot side and rear yard setbacks, and then the front yard could be modified accordingly to accommodate the construction of an ADU. Also, at their regularly scheduled meeting of February 28th of this year, the Planning Commission unanimously approved this item. During the hearing, the Commission brought up good clarifying questions and comments related to issues as to how the proposed changes will now treat front yard ADUs, how we will integrate ADUs and junior ADUs with historic properties, how single family properties with ADUs may now be actually viewed as multifamily properties in the context of a refinancing perspective, and how converting garages in the R1, which is our single family residence zone, and our R2 zone, which is the one and two uh, family residence zone, may affect parking availability in, in neighborhoods. Staff recommends that the City Council place an ordinance on first reading approving the Municipal Code Amendments regarding ADUs and junior ADUs. And this also concludes staff's presentation. We are also available for any questions you may have. Thank you.
Thank you very much. Um, this is a public hearing. Uh, do I have any uh, questions from my council? Seeing none, I will go ahead and open the public hearing. Madam Clerk, do we have any comments from the public? We do have uh, one speaker on this item, Delia Dominguez Cervantes. Good evening, Mayor and Council Persons. A few years ago, I built a granny flat in the back of my house for my mother. She's in her mid-80s. And I have a 10,000, excuse me, I'm short 31 square feet of the 10,000 square feet required at the time, and I don't know that that, the square footage of a property of the lot, if that's affected with the new um, uh, state laws that are coming in. So I would like to see that that is also in public, in the, in the public's view. When I started building this uh, project, the contractor gave me a discount because I would be the one that was going to be coming to the uh, planning and building department for those you know, questions that, needed, that came up. One of the issues that came up, first I read up everything that's on the web, obviously didn't match with anything that was on the turnstiles as you walk in as far as step one, step two, what a private citizen can do. A, a developer has people, they pay people to know all this you know, inside out. I was my own person doing that, so it was made much more difficult. It could have been made easier had the website reflected what's on the turnstiles for the public. And I would recommend or suggest that that is looked, you know, updated frequently so the public knows what to, you know, what to look for. Uh, secondly, uh, the requirement, I was 31 square feet short. There should also be a list of what the exemptions are. In my instance, it took a lot of digging. I had to call the state and every other person, and you know I can be pretty persistent, to figure out that if my mom sees a doctor, that was the exception. Of course she sees a doctor. I see a doctor. She's in her 80s. Does she have any issues, medical issues? Well, she's got this, she's got that. So those were the questions that I had to answer to figure out that there was an exception so that 31 square feet short that we were could be waived. So I'm wondering if you could have a list. The developers know all the loopholes. Us, your private citizens, us, the taxpayers, we don't. And when you're new at this and trying to save some money, because that's what helped me save some money with the, architect, the, uh, the architecture and the um, architect, excuse me, and the contractor that I would be skimming through all of this so that they could just deal with the actual, you know, building of, you know, the plans and the, the, uh, and the construction. A second piece, there's a, the plans. First they tell you bring a set of plans, I bring a set of plans because the website and the uh, turnstile don't match and they don't even, and neither are correct, bring one set of, of plans. Cost me $75 for those set of plans. Probably twice that now, because it was just a couple of years ago, three, four years ago. Then I get here and, uh, across the way here, and then they tell me I need to have two plans. So then I go back. It took me forever to even get to the front desk to do that. Then I go back, then I come back, oh, you're going to have to get another plan. And so the, just the process I think, and I documented it, I'm very well at documenting. I, do, I documented every contact, but before I contacted anybody, I contacted every one of those inspectors, those building review 
because there's the, the plumbing guy, there's the electrical guy, there's the, just there's every, there's different levels of review, the fire. I contacted them all and I asked their forgiveness in advance and told them, I don't know you. Everything I have to say is going to be because of what I read on the website, what the state and what you, the city representatives, say you will comply with. So I always cc'd them so I, they know what the issues were when I was sending my emails to the director. Because I, if time is money. A developer just pads the tail end of it and you and I and everyone else pays for that time. I didn't have that time. My clock was ticking, I had money to pay back, I had to take out a loan, that sort of thing. So those community issues need to be accounted for. And then on top of that, then I find out that I was like number five and I go, yay, I'm number five. Well, that just meant I was number five. Didn't mean that that developer in front of me had 40 houses in front of them that they had to review. So maybe you have one, set of uh, line for the developers and the other ones like us that are just trying to build one ADU for their mom. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, staff, what are we doing to be able to allow uh, individuals who would like to do ADUs um, more of a clear cut understanding of what they actually need to do and what the steps are? We are continually looking at our public-facing information, making sure that it is clear, understandable, uh, both our collateral that is you know, available to, uh, on, the, on the website, as well as information that we provide through emails or over the counter. We also have, on any given day, a planner of the day that is at the front counter, always manning that desk in desk number six. So if they have questions related to planning, we are always willing to walk them through what the process is, what is what we're looking at. Um, we are also, uh, the housing department uh, did get a grant to upgrade uh, or to create a ADU-specific siting tool so that the public will be able to click on their property and then be able to so show pre-approved ADUs and how it could very well be cited, cited on their property. So we are continually trying to update and keep up to date with the changes that are coming down from the state and making sure that it's clear for our customers. Thank you very much. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, are there any more speakers on this item? There are no speakers and no e-comments on this item. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna close, uh, close the public hearing and now I will go ahead and recognize uh, Council Member Gonzalez. Thank you, and you already spoke to a large degree to my question about the public-facing aspect of the, the ADU process. Um, so I'll just make the, the comment that of all the, the issues, um, I think the private property owner has more questions these days about ADUs than anything else, and that's something that to really take into to heart as we develop the informations that are there, because as, as was mentioned, the the questions that a professional has is drastically different from when a private property owner comes in with those questions. And it used to be the case that um, over the counter, same day, we could have a number of those questions. But I know the, the departments are impacted these days. So I was very pleased to hear that there, that is taken into consideration. There is a number of, of resources available for somebody to come in over the counter. Um, so I'll pivot to my, my second question then. Is it a state requirement 
the the 60 days um, requirement from from when it's to towards approval of an ADU is that a is that a local is that a city or is that a state requirement and how are we doing with that um, the 60 day requirements state um, in terms of compliance with that um, that's not something I can answer right off, right off the, the hips <laughs> so but but the but the, the 60 day window um, from an application, ADU application submittal or building permit application submittal to approval is, is supposed to be a 60-day turnaround coming also from state law. Okay, and I'll have plenty of opportunity to follow up on that question, so I intend to, and thank you very much. Um, can I move for approval at this time? Uh, yes, uh, we've closed the public hearing. Um, we have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Madam Clerk, please read the heading. This is item 7.2, ordinance of the Chula Vista, excuse me, ordinance of the city of Chula Vista approving amendments to the Chula Vista Municipal Code sections 19.58.022, accessory dwelling units, and 19.58.023, junior accessory dwelling units, first reading. Please vote. Item passes unanimously. Uh, now we will move to action items. Um, we're gonna move to 8.1, and I need to recuse myself uh, from 8.1 because of a property ownership uh, next across the street from uh, the property that they're going to be voting on. So I will go ahead and hand my gavel over to Deputy Mayor Preciado. We can have a report, uh, Deputy Mayor. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Mark Bernard is getting the presentation up, and he will be providing a presentation. And uh, we're here to answer any questions at the conclusion. Good evening, Honorable Mayor and Council. This evening, we are here to present on item 8.1, the fourth amendment to the city's American Rescue Plan Act allocation plan. In May of 2021, the U.S. Department of the Treasury announced the launch of the coronavirus state and local fiscal recovery funds uh, established by the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. This act provided $350 billion in emergency funding for eligible state, local, territorial, and tribal governments. These funds were primarily intended to support urgent COVID-19 response efforts to continue to decrease the spread of the virus and bring the pandemic under control. They were also intended to re replace lost public sector revenue, support immediate economic stabilization for households and businesses, and address systematic public health and economic challenges. In August of 2021, Chula Vista received $28.76 million from ARPA funds and developed a spending plan. Amendments to this plan have been made as the city continues to evaluate areas where these funds continue to be needed the most. The plan amendment before you tonight is the latest action to allocate these funds where the need is greatest. During the pandemic, 
there was, a, there was a substantial increase in calls for service for domestic violence disturbances in Chula Vista. At the same time, many Chula Vista families face greater food insecurity and economic hardship. While the height of the pandemic has subsided, these issues continue to challenge Chula Vista families at rates above pre-pandemic levels. This amendment will therefore reallocate $200,000 in ARPA funds to the SBCS Domestic Violence Response Team, $400,000 in ARPA funds to operation of the Casa Nueva Vida Shelter for Victims of Domestic Violence, and will reallocate an additional $100,000 to the Jacobs and Cushman San Diego Food Bank to provide emergency food assistance to Chula Vista households. Details on this reallocation are described in the chart before you. Staff recommends that Council adopt a resolution approving the, uh, this amendment to the ARPA funding plan so that the City can continue to mitigate the negative impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on our community. Um, before I go to questions from Council, thank you for your presentation. I'm going to see if there's any public comment on this item. We do have one individual who would like to speak on this item, Delia Dominguez Cervantes. Good evening. I'm happy to see that some of this money is going to the domestic violence program. Having been a victim of domestic violence ago in my first marriage, I can certainly appreciate that these programs are there now to help those that are running from that violence and the children, the supports the children need. My question is more geared to the subcontracting out of any of these monies. For instance, the food program, are they going to run it all? Are they going to subcontract any piece of it all, at all? How do we know what is being subcontracted out? Do we, have, do we vet these other vendors? We, are we just assuming that who we're issuing these monies to is going to be responsible for vetting these subcontractors? I'll call them that for the lack of a better word right now. But I think as a, the public, the community, we need to know how that's vetted out because we do see subcontractors, a regular contractor subcontracts out another piece of it, different component of it. But then in, but in, then in uh, reviewing that, we as a community need to know, is that where we want our money to go? Who they are subcontracting any piece of it out? And when we do assign these monies out, how do we ensure that the money going to so-and-so is actually used only for that function and now not hiring a person to also do something else that we did not approve of. So that's my question in regards to our responsibility, our oversight responsibility on this and now just pawning it off to somebody else to oversight, you know, Fox can't watch the hen house type of thing. Thank you. Thank you. City Manager, would you like to provide a response? Thank you for that. So the same way that we operate our federal funds that are our entitlement federal uh, block grant funds, we use that same mechanism to administer the ARPA funds. So we do release a request for uh, qualifications or proposals, and that's done through the annual process for the federal block grant programs. They were um, actually respondents to that, the San Diego Food Bank as SBCS. So in the same manner, we monitor, um, we have a two-party agreement. It's, uh, we have the scope of services, and then they provide quarterly reports. Um, so we, um, as far, and the same thing with the claim forms. 
We verify the claim forms, make sure that all the supporting documentation is going towards those activities, um, and the reporting has to justify and has to comply with the initial scope of services, um, which is what the uh, contract was intended to, to serve. Well, in addition to that, we also have to comply with federal audits that are conducted on the city based on the funds that we receive based on which federal agency. So we go through that process as well. Thank you. Are there any further comments from the public? There are no in Oh, um, one second, please. I heard the public was unable to hear. Can you share your remarks again? I don't know if your mic is on. So the city has to go through various audits. Um, and any federal funds that we receive, we have to uh, go through federal audit requirements. And they also go out to the various agencies to audit the services that they're providing to make sure that we're in compliance with the requirements of the grant funds. Thank you. There are no additional in-person speakers. There is one e-comment expressing a neutral position um, on this item, requesting information about how the organizations were selected. Thank you. Members of the council, any questions from you on this item? One question. Uh, Councilman Gonzalez, go ahead. Um, is it public, The all of the applicants for these funds, is that, a, is that public and available for review? All of the applications that come for our federal uh, uh, funds, yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, one will be presented in May. Um, April and May, uh, we will hold a public hearing in April and we will present all the applications that have come in, um, including, as I mentioned, SBCS and the Food Bank. Um, they have been partners uh, with the city for a long time and it is a public hearing initially and that is uh, shared with uh, council as, and we have that on the website and we are required to have a 30-day review period and allow the public to come and comment on any of those applicants. Appreciate that, thank you. If there's no further questions, I'll move approval of item 8.1 as presented. And if the city clerk, if there's a second, I'll ask the city clerk to read I'll the second. title. It's been seconded by uh, Councilwoman Cardenas, city clerk. Item 8.1 is resolution of the city council of the city of Chula Vista. One, approving a fourth amendment to the American Rescue Plan Act spending plan. Two, authorizing the city manager or designee to execute agreements with SBCS Corporation for domestic violence services and Casa Nueva Vida shelter operation programs and the Jacobs and Cushman San Diego Food Bank and three, reallocating funds and amending the CIP budget therefore. Four fifths vote required. Please vote. The item passes and noting the recusal from um, Mayor McCann, who will probably be returning. There he is. Now we will move to item 8.2. City Manager, we're ready for the report. Okay, thank you. Just an uh, update on the housing element. We do have a staff presentation. Good evening again, Honorable Mayor and Council Members. Tonight we will be providing you with an update on the progress made in the past calendar year towards the city's identified goals in the 2021 to 2029 housing element. The 
The city's housing element is one of six different elements that comprise the city's general plan. Unlike the general plan, the housing element is updated every eight years and must be approved by the city council and certified by the state's Housing and Community Development Office, also known as HCD. Each eight-year term is called a cycle. The most recent cycle covers from April 2021 to April 2029. The city's housing element for this cycle was amended and adopted by City Council on September 13, 2022 and certified by HCD on October 28, 2022. For each year of the cycle, jurisdictions throughout California are required to submit a housing element annual progress report to HCD. This annual report includes data on the jurisdiction's progress toward their housing goals, both from a production and policy standpoint. Two years ago, the reporting requirements became much more comprehensive and now require jurisdictions to report on all housing development applications, entitlements, building permits, and completions. At the beginning of each housing element cycle, the San Diego Association of Governments, also known as SANDAG, in consultation with the California Department of Housing and Community Development, identifies the projected housing need for the entire region. This need is known as the Regional Housing Needs Assessment, or RENA. For the 2021 to 2029 cycle, SANDAC has identified a regional need of over 171,000 units and has allocated to all 19 jurisdictions in the county their respective share categorized by income levels. Each jurisdiction's share of the regional number is based on a methodology involving a number of factors, such as available transit and jobs. For more information on the methodology, Sandag's webpage on the arena has a lot of information for anyone interested. For the 2021 to 2029 housing element cycle, the city of Chula Vista was allocated over 11,000 units, which are divided amongst the income categories in the far left column of your screen. For each income category, the city's allocation is located in the green column on the left side of the screen. Since the beginning of this housing element cycle in April of 2021 through December 31st of 2022, the city has produced a total of 4,621 units, of which 4,172 were market rate units as highlighted in the gray column towards the right-hand side of the screen. The 4,621 total units produced to date represents nearly 42% of the city's total RENA allocation. Good evening. Um, so units are considered affordable if no more than 30% of a household's gross income is contributed towards rents. Um, so um, to claim units as affordable without a deed restriction, um, or financial assistance, affordability must be demonstrated by a proposed uh, rent or sales prices that would be affordable to the income category or demonstrated through a survey of comparable units in the area that show that the unit would be affordable. Given the current market, this is difficult in much of California. Deed restricted units uh, must be restricted for a minimum of 55 years for rental projects and 45 years for home ownership. 478 deed-restricted units have been received, uh, ha had received building permits during our current uh, cycle, um, with the majority of them this past year. 
Um, currently, uh, 33 density bonus units are restricted for affordable and over 450 in larger 100 affordable projects, either opened in 2022 or began construction. Last Friday, we witnessed the grand opening of the Casa Anita complex, which is fully leased up and providing 24 of the units to formerly homeless individuals with uh, full wraparound services. Tonight, you also heard uh, about the progress on the Encelia project, and Columba continues construction in Millennia as well. Um, in 2022, we also saw the conclusion of the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, which uh, uh, as the application deadline, um, at, at the date of the application deadline, over 2,800 um, households were assisted and over 700 uh, landlords with uh, over $40 million in federal and state funds. <clears throat> in addition, many programs that were halted during the pandemic started back up in 2022 such as the city's first time home buyer program and the community health improvement program, which both provide low interest loans to preserve housing or create new ownership opportunities for low income households. <clears throat> um, important policy was also created in 2022 around tenant protections for no fault terminations of tenancy and the city was awarded a Sandag grant to provide greater opportunities for accessory dwelling unit production. While these are just some, some of the highlights, the uh, executive summary and the full housing element annual report are provided as attachments one and two to your staff report. <clears throat> While we feel we are off to a good start towards meeting our RENA goals, we still need additional policy changes and creativity to meet our arena allocations. A few highlights to note for this coming year will include the convening of a housing production task force to be led by two commissioners from our Housing and Homeless Advisory Commission, a council workshop to further, dis uh, to further discuss housing programs in April, uh, the sele selection of partners to provide more permanent supportive units within the city to assist uh, formerly homeless individuals on their path to self-sufficiency and an update to the city's uh, balanced, community, uh, balanced communities uh, policy. <clears throat> this concludes uh, staff's presentation, and tonight we are simply asking that you accept the reports in order to enable submission to state HCD. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the presentation. Uh, do we have any questions from the council? Member Preciado. So, uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, one of the one of the opportunities we have um, to assist in in the process of making uh, increasing the housing supply is having more and more information. And I really appreciated a couple of weeks ago I met with the housing director and became aware of information that was just not something I had in hand. And so, for example, I it, it was shared with me that we have 3,000 units that are considered affordable that are within that um, permanent, uh, availably, permanently available at least through those 55 years. Um, it was also made clear to me that we are, the city is eligible to, for 3,000 Section 8 uh, vouchers that come through the county, through the federal government that we don't administer. But um, one of the things that I, 
understood after I heard information like this is that we have a pretty dynamic housing uh, environment um, with a lot of different programs for the different individuals that may be, ben may be able to benefit from these housing options. And I, I'm just uh, uh, appreciate the reports, but also look forward to seeing some of these dashboards that may make it easier for us um, as we share with the public that uh, the city is doing its part in the region to be compliant and to serve um, the workforce with its housing needs. Um, the only thing that uh, I am disappointed by is the lack of, uh, of, or at least based on the information that I have, the lack of options for home purchases in, in the affordable categories. And so I'm just wondering if we have a strategy in encouraging um, the development of low-income or affordable housing at the medium and or, or, or the very high, very low-income areas for actual purchase. Um, because I, I, I just, uh, I, I am aware, for example, of the Sears property that will be one of the few for sale. Um, but interestingly enough, that one does not have a affordable housing component um, because um, we had not updated our, our goals until this, this past September. That's something I became aware of as, as I've been gaining more information. But just to conclude my, my, um, my series of comments to you is I'm interested in knowing if there is a strategy or if other municipalities have been able to pursue strategies where they encourage home ownership through through the production of, of for sale opportunities for um, for those two categories of affordability that I think we're planning for. So thank you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, Stacy, our, our director is not here tonight, so she could probably speak more to it. But. Um, uh, I mean, there's the first time home buyer program that we offer. Those are for households uh, earning 80% of the area median income or less. Um, it just launched uh, a few months ago, but we're, we don't have the volume we, we anticipated because, you know, the market's uh, so uh, expensive right now. But uh, yeah, I think we all agree with what you're saying. Yeah, but, so the challenge is that, you know, properties are at 800,000. So even if you have, uh, Support for a home buyer. I just think it's <laughs> we've kind of made it impossible unless we have some of these heavily subsidized programs that might be available. I, I was going to go. I was just going to add that the concern and the desire to have a more robust discussion about home ownership opportunity is shared with the by the planning commission. They brought this exact same thing up the last time that we met with them. They would like to have a, a more uh, in-depth conversation about what we can be doing citywide to encourage that. Obviously, it's a lot of this is driven by the market, but so I'll, I'll jump in as well a little bit on this. So, uh, this is something that has definitely come up in uh, development um, negotiations in the past. It's very difficult to have long-term affordability with a for-sale product. So, what we can typically do is you know get that affordability at that initial sale. But then over time, as that property changes hands, you lose the affordability. And so that's our, our struggle. And so because of that, um, we tend to 
not uh, allow the for sale products as meeting the affordability requirement because we want that deed restriction. We want that long-term affordability commitment. What we're looking at is how can we make sure we have a good mix of product out there that is more naturally affordable, even for the for sale. So that's the smaller units, higher density, maybe fewer amenities, things like that. But that's the balance that we're trying to find. Definitely share your concern about um, access to people to have more affordable purchase options, but it's definitely a complicated issue and will be something we will also talk about. We've got the workshop coming up to talk about development and housing. It's, as Mr. Phillips shared, it's definitely an issue that is of concern in the community, but those are just some of the challenges we have with that. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> um, Ms. Allen, thank you for sharing that. And uh, I know that <clears throat> Ms. Cardenas and I were on the council when we approved a Sunbow project, and that specifically was a for sale project of 718 units, uh, entry level units, and they, I know this has been a housing issue uh, for the entire county, and they call it the missing middle. Uh, when you have uh, police, nurses, firefighters, people who have regular jobs, and they work in the community, yet they have great credit, uh, have a good, good salary, and even a down payment, yet they cannot afford a house. And um, I think this is, I, again, I, sh I share your concerns on those. And uh, it was a split vote when we did vote, and I want to commend uh, Ms. Cardenas for voting uh, for that, for sale affordable. Uh, but these are some really good concerns, because I know a lot of people like myself, <clears throat> we want not only our kids to grow up here, not only to work here, but we want them to live here um, and stay here in the city of Chula Vista. So great question. Thank you, Member Preciado. Um, Member Gonzalez. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, staff, for the presentation. And first and foremost, kudos on the, on the progress in the housing element. Um, the numbers speak for themselves as far as progress is concerned. Um, and the city, I think, is, is a example countywide, regionally, for what can be done if, if there's consensus in the direction that we want to go. Um, it's not lost on me that a lot of the numbers are coming from District 3, and that's natural because it is easier to ask for these to work together in a master-planned community. Um, where I'm going with this is that it is a little bit trickier and requiring um, more, more um, conversation with the community in particular to make this possible in other parts of the city for info housing on the west side uh, throughout the city. Um, and I know the housing element asks us to report on, on one of the three things that should be included is progress toward mitigating governmental constraints identified in the housing element. I think that speaks exactly to what needs to be done in order to make it possible in other parts of the city to tackle, to address some of the, at least some of this, some of the issues in those areas. And I was going to ask on that point, but I think you um, included to a degree in your slide that was called what to expect um, in this upcoming year. Um, so my question would be looking at those four things and what you mentioned verbally, um, which of those 
none of them or all of them, or do some in particular, are they in a position to be able to recommend to the council some policy changes, for, for example, restrictive zoning changes? Um, what can we look forward to in 2023 as far as specific um, recommendations to the council? I think something that will come to you will be um, further amendments to the balanced communities uh, policy. We just this last year we amended it to include the western part of the city, which had been um, exempted from from it. It is now the entire city is is uh, subject to it. So we will continue to look at it as um, a vehicle for trying to get more affordability and more units throughout the city. Um, and obviously these other items are going to be more. Um, well, there's obviously the workshop that will happen in April with with the council. So if there are ideas that come out of that, we staff will take those forward and. And, uh, and bring those forward to you as policy recommendations as well. And then um, kind of a follow-up question to that, because I did hear the planning committee meeting that you just mentioned where they had very similar questions, specifically on rental versus for um, sale um, units. But if I think what was kind of implied was if they have policy recommendations in general re relating to the housing stock, how do they approach, how, what's the the best way for them to bring those recommendations to the council? They don't have any recommendations at, at this point. They right. want to have a conversation that may actually result in recommendations to the city council on policy that might uh, affect development within the community. They want to have a broader conversation with the development community as to what the, uh, what the pain points are for them and, and why we aren't seeing more of a different kind of a mix in some of the um, more planned communities that, we're, that we are coming forward with. Um, so it's, it's a much broader conversation mm -hmm. at this time, which very well may result in policy recommendations. Yes. You do have the, the Housing Production Task Force that's part of the Boards of Commissions, the Housing Homeless Boards of Commissions. So if they do have recommendations, it could work its way up to the City Council through the Boards of Commissions um, for more recommendations as part of the agendized process. Great, and I, for one, would welcome those recommendations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do I have any other questions from the City Council? Seeing none, uh, this is a item to accept the report. I will go ahead and move. Do I have a second? Second. Uh, uh, member, I will, uh, Member Cardenas um, went ahead and seconded the motion. Um, please read the heading. This is item 8.2, acceptance of the housing element 2022 annual progress report and the housing successor annual progress, excuse me, and the housing successor annual report for fiscal year 2021-22. Please vote. Item passes unanimously. A yes, member Presciato. Mr. Mayor, can I request that that slide with the with the um, table be shared? Um, I, uh, we weren't able to see it, so I usually take a picture of it. So I just need that particular slide. If it can be shared with the council, it's uh, it's in the staff report as well. But uh, yeah, I I'm familiar. I I just need the so I can share it. If you have it electronically, then I can share it electronically. Thank you so much. Great. 
Um, now we will move on to item 8.3. We need to bring the room closer over here. <laughs> this is how they get their steps in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mayor, uh, Council. We we are available to respond to any questions, but we're requesting your support to oppose a statewide initiative that could be catastrophic to our ability to not only uh, move forward with initiatives in the future, but also impact our, our current revenue streams. So we do have a presentation if you'd like to hear it, but I think the staff report that we provided uh, gave you quite a bit of information in details. I would be thank you. Do we um, yeah for approval if there is no public comment? Second. Madam Clerk, are the, is there any public comment? There are no comments on this item. Okay, we have a motion and a second. This is item 8.3, Resolution of the City Council of the City of Chula Vista, opposing ballot initiative number 21-0042A1, limits ability of voters and state and local governments to raise revenues for government services, initiative constitutional amendment. Please vote. Item carries for one with the mayor voting no. Now we will move on to the city manager's report. Uh, nothing to report, thank you. You know we have a, a large closed session, that's why, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I have, uh, m under my mayor's report, I just wanted to, as you saw, we have the 2023 uh, first uh, draft picks uh, for our boards and commissions. And I just really wanted to thank all of them. We still have openings for boards and commissions. And um, again, if anybody out there would like to serve on the board and commission, it's a great way to help your community. Um, I was very honored uh, to be at the, as we were talking about the affordable housing, uh, be at the ribbon cutting for Casa Anita. Uh, 96 new units um, for affordability. Uh, 20 of those individuals were um, used to be homeless. I was very struck by one of the individuals who I talked to him, uh, Malik. He actually had been living in his car. He was a Vietnam veteran. Um, he had uh, worked at, uh, been a welder for uh, all his career, but unfortunately things didn't work out uh, after he retired, living in his car. Uh, former Marine, and uh, it was just great to see him have an opportunity to live in a place uh, and not in his car anymore. Um, also attended the Wired event today uh, in City Hall, and I think that's going to be a great collaboration. Uh, we in the city of Chula Vista are a smart city, uh, and I think we are being able to build on that foundation by having fiber connection uh, throughout the city. Uh, which will give us the ability to control our um, street lights, uh, to be able to go ahead and have our police and our ambulance respond in a qu quicker fashion because of that, uh, because we can make all the, as a unit goes down the street, uh, the green lights will turn green for them uh, ahead of time and not just wait till the flashing light. Uh, also, it's going to be able to help our uh, schools by having more access for our children to have wireless 
internet or, and wired internet and to help attract new companies and businesses to help create jobs here. Uh, so with that, uh, again, I'm uh, very, very proud to be in Chula Vista and I will now move it down to the uh, council comments. The first item on the council uh, for council comments is 11.1, Mayor uh, Deputy Mayor Preciado. Uh, before I, I start talking on this particular item, um, I'd like to share a few words about some of the activities that I've experienced in the last couple of weeks here in the city. And I want to start with um, sharing with you that I was at a particular business today in the city, in my district, and um, a car bumped into the city trash can and knocked it over into the street and the, the, all the trash poured over to the street and I saw the business immediately take action to collect the trash, to put the trash can back. Um, and one of the things that, I, that struck me about it is that uh, unlike uh, other, other experiences that I've had in the city, this was not, you know, call the city and figure out how to resolve this challenge. It was more how to address um, that immediate concern right in front of their business. And I really appreciated um, that their, the effort they took. So I, I, I just wanted to comment about it. I won't mention the business today, but I, look, I, I requested that they reach out and, and that we talk about this kind of um, civic um, business uh, uh, behavior that I that I witnessed. Another thing I do want to take thank staff for the numerous um, opportunities that I've had in the last couple of weeks to meet with them and to get a better understanding of my of my role in terms of my, uh, my representation on the San Diego Metro Wastewater JPI, JPA. I do want to thank the staff for taking the time to um, update me and, and prepare me as I advocate for our interests on that board. And lastly, I want to do, I do want to introduce, um, there, I will be scheduling public um, office hours at the Norman Park Senior Center on Wednesdays and Thursdays starting next month. There are times that are, have already been booked and scheduled, but it will be open office hours. So any, anyone interested in the public that wants to come visit the Norman Park Senior Center, it's on a walk-in basis. You'll be able to meet with me and share your concerns. Uh, I look forward to the opportunity to talking to you, and hopefully we'll have enough time. Hopefully I won't be sitting there looking at the wall by myself. Um, but um, it is my hope that um, I will be able to engage in conversation with constituents interested in meeting with their representative. And with that, now I'd like to move 11.1 forward, Mr. Mayor. So it's the consideration of formation of an ad hoc subcommittee to consider matters related to labor agreements and labor relations. The only, if there is a motion to create this ad hoc, and I'm, I'm basically moving it, so if I get a second, I'll speak to the contours of it. I will go ahead and second that. So it is my hope that we create an ad hoc subcommittee to consider very specific um, labor agreements and labor relations issues that have been brought to the attention of the council. Um, one of them is, was brought to us by um, Laborers 89, which wanted us to investigate and understand better the compensation for their traffic safety members. 
and how they are compensated. And another matter was specifically uh, was brought to us by the carpenters, and this addresses some of the challenges that um, are in, in place right now when um, contractors do not hire um, or do not um, go through a, an appropriate process of hiring individuals. And so um, the County of San Diego and the City of San Diego has, have adopted this resolution that's dubbed the Transparency uh, Ordinance. And I'm interested in understanding how we could bring something like that to the City of Chula Vista. And lastly, in the third area that, that this ad hoc subcommittee would work on is um, a PLA citywide for all public projects on public land or funded through public resources. And um, my motion is to create the ad, ad hoc subcommittee and to be joined by council, by, by be staffed by myself and Councilwoman uh, Cardenas. Um, so I look forward to seeing if we can vote on, on this matter. Thank you. Thank you. We have a motion and a second. Mr. Mayor. Um, I actually have a um, comment from the acting city attorney. We have a speaker on this item as well when it's appropriate, Mr. Mayor. Okay. Um, do you want to say anything or would you like to speaker now? Or, yeah, let's hear from the speaker. Okay. We're ready for a speaker. John Acosta. Uh, Councilmember uh, Preciado, while it's a good idea for you to do a HEC uh, committee, I just don't trust you to have one simply because uh, what I have seen on the paper and the press, I don't trust you, or, uh, uh, Councilmember Preciado. You before call me hater, I don't hate you, I hate you none of, I don't hate none of you, I just don't trust you. So therefore, I don't, uh, I don't believe that you be neutral on this HEC committee uh, because I'm probably you're going to be get, getting your your friends or members of the uh, grassroots uh, you know, uh, clan or group that you all have, and I just don't trust them that you'll be neutral in the community. That's it. Are there any more speakers? That concludes the speakers, and there are no e-comments. Okay. Um, Member Preciado has made a, uh, a um, motion. And we have a second, uh, so I would call for the vote. I believe it's uh, Member uh, City Attorney would like to speak first. Thank you, Mayor McCann. I just wanted to recommend that we put some additional parameters around the committee just so that we are in compliance with the Brown Act rules. Um, and specifically, you have identified a specific, excuse me, a specific scope for the ad hoc committee, subcommittee. Um, I would additionally recommend that there be a time limit involved so that they are the subcommittee is tasked with looking into these matters and coming back and reporting back to the council within a certain period of time um, i would suggest six months um, or shorter and not that that would be the end but to come back and report to council and then we can do a, a check-in at that point i would be happy to amend my motion to provide 90-day period for us to form to act participate as an as a ad hoc committee on this topic city attorney is that acceptable <coughs> i'm still figuring out my buttons yes it is thank you okay and uh, the second uh, accepts the uh, primary motion yes changes okay uh, madam clerk if you could put up the vote 
And this is item 11.1, uh, formation of an ad hoc subcommittee consisting of Deputy Mayor Preciado and Councilmember Cardenas to consider matters related to labor agreements and labor relations um, as stated by uh, Deputy Mayor. Thank you. Please vote. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> I think that was the quickest vote I've seen in a while. <laughs> um, the uh, committee, <coughs> subcommittee has been uh, then voted unanimously. Okay, we'll now go to member uh, Chavez. Well, as a general comment, I wanna say before we talk about uh, 11.2, um, that I had a chance to go and visit Taste on 3rd this uh, last oh, couple of days. There that. was an, a great event hosted by the Chula Vista Bid, um, and it was sold a sold out an event and it was really a great place to see how all the businesses came together and the community it was just I would really recommend that when we see these kind of events we go out and support even if it's a sold out event I would recommend you go and visit uh, the local um, business community on in anywhere in Chula Vista in general it was a great event I just wanted to mention that and, and give a shout out to the Chula Vista bid uh, and aside from that, I, I would want to speak on item uh, 11.2, and I want to express my strong support for the establishment of uh, Subcommittee on Economic Development and Binational Affairs. Our community thrives on the binational and economic opportunities that arise from our unique location and the diverse people that call our city home. It is of utmost importance that we continue to foster economic growth and international cooperation to ensure a prosperous future for our community. By creating an ad hoc subcommittee specifically dedicated to these efforts, we can focus on creating a strategic plan and addresses the needs of our local businesses, supports innovation, and capitalizes on our binational relationships. The creation of this ad hoc subcommittee will allow us to better understand the unique opportunities and challenges we face as a city and implement targeted policies to address them. This will ultimately lead to a more comprehensive approach to economic development and international affairs, promoting sustainable growth and benefiting our community as a whole. I want to recommend Mayor uh, John McCann to join me on this committee. I believe the mayor's background and longstanding relationship uh, with businesses here in Chula Vista will be a great help as we explore ways we can empower our businesses to thrive. So with that, We'll move to motion. I'll second. Okay. Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, we have a motion and a second. We also have a speaker on this item, Mr. Mayor. Yes, go ahead. John Acosta. My last speech of the night. Uh, congratulations, Councilmember Chavez. I think it's a good idea. One, one thing I'm just uh, going to recommend to be inclusive and ages. I think you're around the community. I think you're one of the few, well, somebody else, uh, council member Alonso, I see him out in the community. And you know how active I am. I'm very involved with the community and I see you around. One of the things I would recommend to include seniors in your community. You can have different ideas. Because you know, the young and the old, we go out together, but it's a lot of ageism everywhere you see it. So I'd like to be more inclusive in the ages. Thank you. Any more speakers? That concludes the public speakers on this item. Okay, I have a, a speaker. The 
uh, member Preciado would like to talk, and then uh, we have the city attorney who would like to talk. So, um, one of the comments that I wanted to make is, as you prepare to, to undertake your work is if you are going to consider the opportunity of including uh, some of our existing business or, or business uh, associations. And um, I'm hoping to see, um, and hopefully your committee work will lead you to this, but some sort of um, new engagement with the Chula Vista Chamber of Commerce, which I think um, in the past, we've had a, a rocky relationship. I'll describe it that way, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to understand better how uh, a structure that's recognized in the community or universally throughout everywhere uh, of a chamber can be part of our economic development strategy. And so, and the second comment I wanted to make is that I'm hoping your, your committee, even though it's a short-term committee, um, and I'm probably that's what the city attorney is going to share it with you, but <laughs> I'm hoping that you come up with a more permanent structure as part of your recommendations. I don't know what it will be or what or what it could be, but more permanent engagement by the city council in the economic development, um, both uh, in our local context and in the binational context. And um, so I'm hoping I look forward to hearing your recommendations and the outcomes of your committee. Thank you. Great. Um, City Attorney. Thank you all, Deputy Mayor. Uh, beat me to the punch. Yes, I would recommend that as with the prior subcommittee that we put some time uh, parameters around this one, uh, 180 days or less. And also, I think I heard in your comments, but I just wanted to confirm that the idea is for Mayor McCann and Councilmember Chavez to work together gather information regarding binational, binational affairs and economic development, report back to the city council with some recommendations. Yes. Correct. So that would be my only other recommendation in, um, with, that, with that scope in mind, is to put a time limit on the subcommittee. Go ahead, how long would you like? I mean, I, I would subject it to the same time frame that we mentioned for the last ad hoc subcommittee. So, so that was 90 days, mm -hmm. which is fine. Like I said, 180 or less. So if you want to go with 90, we'll, we'll make that note in the record. Yes, and I know on our agenda, we will be meeting with Marcy, who is, does an awesome job at the chamber. So um, with that, um, please vote. This is item 11.2. Formation of an ad hoc subcommittee consisting of Mayor McCann and Councilmember Chavez um, to consider matters related to economic development and binational affairs. And the vote is unanimous. Thank you very much. Um, now I will move on to Member Cardenas. Um, just very briefly, uh, uh, Councilmember Chavez and I had the opportunity to attend the Sandag Board Retreat. Uh, a few weeks back now, um, we haven't met in a minute. So um, it, it was very a very um, successful uh, retreat, I believe. Um, you know, we were really able to kind of get down to the nitty gritty of uh, you know good governance and and how to move forward as a region. And um, I was really glad to have a, a partner from from our city there as well. Um, I also just want to commend. Um, our new council members who are really 
uh, taking all of these large issues and, and making sure that we're tackling them very aggressively. I think um, it's, it's very exciting to see so much action coming from within um, our council, and, and I'm, I'm just excited to see um, what's going to be happening in the next, after 90 days from now when we have all these reports. So um, I'm just uh, happy to be a part of this group and thank all of our staff that's always here no matter what because there are moral support every, every time we have a meeting. So uh, thank you everyone and, and we'll see you all at a closed session later today. Thank you. Member Gonzalez? No report. Um, and then I just wanted to say, I, um, uh, Member Chavez uh, reminded me of Taste on Third. Uh, since we haven't met in a couple weeks, Taste on Third was outstanding. Um, it was amazing. I actually uh, brought home a uh, from Labella's Pizza pizza um, for my family because uh, I remembered how awesome Labella's was. But it was really neat to go up and down Third Avenue and talking and interacting with the businesses. And it really gave you a taste of everything um, that is going on. And again, uh, our Third Avenue is our downtown of Chula Vista, and we want to make sure that it continues to thrive. Uh, with that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and recognize the city attorney. Thank you, Mary McCann. Uh, two things. Most importantly, seeing um, Council Member Gonzalez in his black suit and red tie reminded me that I wanted to say congratulations and good luck to our Aztecs as they head into the Final Four this weekend. Um, and secondarily, we have several matters going into closed session this evening. Uh, under conference with legal counsel regarding existing litigation pursuant to government code section 54956.91, we have four cases as are listed on the agenda. We also have a conference with legal counsel regarding liability claims pursuant to government code section 54956.5, as well as conference with legal counsel regarding initiation of litigation pursuant to government code section 54956.9D4. Thank you very much. We've got a uh, big uh, executive legal um, closed session tonight, so I thank all my fellow council members and uh, the staff uh, for participating in that. And now I will adjourn the open session meeting to the regular city council meeting on April 18th to 2013. Thank you.